Village on the Plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Wednesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street. My name is JJ Jackson, and we have got a loaded show planned for you today here on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite. Coming up on the program today, we're going to have a conversation with Auburn volleyball head coach Brent Crouch, Auburn men's basketball assistant coach Stephen Pearl will join the program, Bob Pockris of NASCAR Fox Sports. Talks about Talladega coming up next week. NASCAR advancing to the next round of the playoffs. And then we'll have covering the bases with Eric McDade in the final hour of today's show. We've got birthdays in sports. We've got our nightly TV guide. We're going to get a lot done here on the program today. And we're glad that you're listening to us, however you may be. Whether it's live on the radio on 95.9 FM or on our Tiger Communications app on our podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. However you are listening to the program We greatly appreciate it. We're getting set for the Auburn game against Missouri. So many reports out there about T.J. Finley's health status. Brian Harson on the SEC teleconference today gave us no substantive answer uh, whether or not he would play in the upcoming game against Missouri. Nobody is surprised there by that. Uh, But, uh, yeah, we're going to get into a lot here on the program today. J.J. Jackson with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry inside the studios here on this Wednesday. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing well, man. And, yeah, a little... I don't know if I'm surprised that Brian Harson didn't give anything, um, but that has certainly been the theme this week is that he has been um, not very informative on what's going on with T.J. Finley. Of course, the Auburn beat kind of reporting that he will not be playing this weekend. So uh, you, you, I guess you just have a his word versus his word going on. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of lean towards the beat reporters, to be honest with you. I don't think that tj finley is going to end up playing this weekend but um you know that is a certainly a storyline and something we'll have to continue to monitor throughout the week otherwise doing pretty good though and uh gonna keep breaking down what went wrong last week and then again fortunately you got a missouri team in here that's also going to be at the bottom of the SEC this year, so we'll start to look towards that. We got a packed show today. So what a wide collection of guests that we've got coming yeah. up on the program today. Auburn volleyball head coach Brent Crouch. Auburn volleyball. The Tigers are eleven and zero to start the season. They have never had this great of a start in the history of the program of uh, Auburn volleyball. They've never started eleven and zero. And coming up on Saturday, that's their next match. They jump into SEC play. They will play on Saturday and Sunday against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then Stephen Pearl, the son of Bruce Pearl, an assistant coach for this Tiger staff, talks with us about Israel, how that trip was for the team, the season being right around the corner, all of that and more coming up here on the program today. Tom Peavy's also here with us. Tom, how are you? I'm great. Uh, Doing good. And yeah, just trying to figure out what all's going on with with TJ Finley and you know, just with everything with that and uh, just all the rumors and stuff that are out there. And then, of course, uh, keeping track of where everybody is looking at and what everybody's talking about as far as if Brian Harson does not make it through uh, to another season, who could potentially replace him and just all the different talk of that. And, uh, last night, I had a chance to go over to Montgomery and watch the Montgomery Biscuits. I had to sit through a little bit of a rain delay, but ultimately got to watch the Biscuits pull off a playoff victory over the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. Uh, the Heck two- yeah. Yeah, the team, that was game one of their three-game series. Uh, they're off today, and then they play at Pensacola uh, 
Friday and Saturday. Oh, no, Thursday and Friday. Wait, what is today? I'm so Wednesday. confused. Today's Wednesday. They play Thursday and Friday in Pensacola. Uh, and what is today? That's the start today? we've gotten off yeah. to uh, with our show here so, today. That's right. <laughs> so uh, all my days have started blurring together. But um, uh, So, yeah, so the three-game series, if, uh, if the Biscuits can just win one more, then they will move on to the championship series against whoever wins in the North Division. And most likely that's going to be Sonny DeShera and the Rocket City Trash Pandas because that team won uh, the first half and second half of their Northern Division. So they're nice. really, really good. And if the Biscuits can do that, then they'll be playing the Trash Pandas for the outright title. So they got the one last night. It was fun. And uh, now we're back here ready to go. Cam, how are you? Doing well. Welcome. I guess this is your, what, second day back? Yeah. Well, I was away for a couple of days, yeah, little, but uh, yeah, hiatus there for a second for you. Oh, so um, pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing good though. Um, um, glad to be back on the show and uh, talk to all of these guests that we have. Honestly, and uh, yeah, Braves uh, uh, disappointing loss today. Couldn't get the sweep against oh, the Nationals, but I didn't see that. Um, just looked to bounce back against the Phillies and uh, go from there. Yeah, Brant showed out showed us a, a tweet that was posted earlier with the Braves losing three to two to the Nationals. The Atlanta Braves, Tom, are four games under five hundred if it's a day game. Yeah. If they played the game at night this season, the Braves are forty one games over five hundred. <laughs> In Should other we words, petition to play at yeah. night for yeah. the rest of the season. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. I, I Get don't, rid of the yeah. day games. I yeah, I mean it, those it's are not so, fun. It, it's so weird. Legit. It, well, and, the, and that's the thing, those day games, we'll be, we'll be sitting there looking at Braves going on this incredible run, and then they'll play a day game where we come in here and do the show, and it's like, yeah, they lost again. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. So, Glad someone. I, no more I, day I games. I want to give credit to whoever it was, but the credit goes to Brant, who saw a tweet. Uh, again, that's, uh, yeah, four games below 500 when the game is played during the day, 41 games above 500 when the game is played at night. Auburn football again getting set for their big game coming up this weekend against Missouri in the SEC opener. Your thoughts are welcome. Our Auburn Bank phone line wide open, 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 tiger 9 as we take our first phone call during today's program. Joining us now, James from Montgomery. James has called into Sports Call. Hi there, James. <clears throat> Hello, and War Eagle. War Eagle, sir. Yeah, I am so excited of seeing my Montgomery Biscuits last night. I was actually at that game last night, uh, cheering so loudly. Tom for the was Montgomery too. Biscuits. Huh? I said Tom was at the game too. Yes, I did actually get a, a message from him on my Facebook timeline, and I was trying to find out where he was so I could, you know, talk to him about some Auburn uh, sports, you know, before I actually get into. Uh, you know, all of it. I was uh, covering a lot of different sports on um, on my phone as well. So I was very, very busy last night on my phone as well, keeping up with everything that was going on in the sports world as well. Yeah, uh, it was a great, great day there. Great night in uh, in Montgomery. Unfortunately, that, that rain delay came through and, and made everybody have to take cover. But uh, yeah, I, I was down there on the front row, right, right up against the. Uh, Right up against the net. Yeah, so um, I, I I really like uh, going to the biscuits games as well, and maybe I, uh, I'll see you all. Uh, I'll see you next year in twenty twenty three. All right, maybe we'll have to set that up. That could be fun. 
Yes, as well. So a little bit about the homecoming weekend that's uh, for Auburn and Missouri. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game against uh, Missouri. So I think at the final uh, fourth quarter, I'll have to say Auburn 58 to Missouri 28. 58-28. That'd be a huge victory for Auburn if they were to be able to pull that off. Yes, as well, because I think, um, you know, with TJ Finley out with a shoulder injury, um, probably I might see Zach Calzada or, uh, you know, Robert Ashford step up into that quarterback, into that quarterback spot as well to uh, turn over a new leaf as well. Somebody needs to. I mean, obviously with TJ Finley's injury, you got to find a way to uh, get good quarterback play. So we'll see if the Tigers can pull that off. Or, or possibly even Holden Gurner. True like, freshman. Yeah. The true freshman. There's a possibility yeah. there. Yeah, so I think I if if Brian Harson actually uh, asked Gurner to actually step up, I want to see how he's gonna do. Uh, you know, I know he's a true uh red shirt freshman from another university, so I think Gurner might be our, our key component yeah. to actually step up. He he's just a true freshman. He doesn't have a red shirt and he didn't transfer. Auburn is the only school that he's ever played for. Uh, but, to, yeah, we'll see if he's able to step up to the task if his number is called on. Okay, so I'll just have to wait until that until that time uh, comes before uh, kickoff as well. And then I'm going to be looking at uh, different uh, different classic games for today because I know we do play Missouri, so I'm going to be watching some uh, throwback videos from Auburn and Missouri over the years. Famously, we played them in the 2013 SEC Championship game, and Trey Mason ran for a million yards, it felt like, in that game. We beat Missouri in the 2013 SEC title game. Yes, I think that was in Auburn that we played them, if I'm correct. It was in Atlanta. It was in Atlanta, the SEC title game. But yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, it was. It was indeed. Uh, seeing Trey Mason actually, uh, you know, playing with Auburn, and now I think he plays in the NFL. If I'm, if I'm correct, uh, his football. He's retired. He's he's not playing football right now. But uh, yeah, he did have a little bit of an NFL career, and obviously remembered as one of the great running backs for Auburn of all time. Yeah, so I know he's retired from the NFL, but I'll I'll probably see him being inducted into the 2024. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame as well uh, if he's uh, listening to the show as well. Yeah, maybe he is. Maybe he is. Who knows? Yeah, so I'm actually going to be looking at some uh, great um, college football all this weekend, and then Sunday I'm looking at some uh, NFL, so I got uh, week three of my Fantasy Football League uh, schedule done, uh, trying to balance back from a one and one loss, so I'm hoping I got some good guys I drafted uh, last night. So I'm hoping that these guys would, uh, you know, give me a, a, a sweet victory in my fantasy football league as well. That's going to be the goal, of course. You want to find any way possible to get a win. And I know some people had Trey Lance possibly on their football team. He's now out for the season at that quarterback spot. If you had Dak Prescott, he's been injured as well. So uh, the key to winning any fantasy football championship, you just need good luck. You want to make sure that your players don't get injured. Yes, as well. So I've uh, I've actually traded some players to other uh, owners that might want to pick them up. So... Um, I haven't had any trades coming in, but I'll probably do that on week four and five as well. Yeah, we'll have to see how that goes for you. And then on Sunday, they've also got the NASCAR race coming up at Texas. 
Yes, actually, I've been waiting for this one, and I am a huge Texas fan, so I'm pretty sure that this is going to be a sold-out crowd on national TV. So um, I'm going to, you know, this is still in the playoff uh, race, so I think with a lot of guys that might, you know, that might win it or might lose it. So I don't know between now and Talladega of uh, next week. So I'm just hoping and seeing if I actually win in my NASCAR fantasy uh, lineup this weekend. I mean, this Sunday as well. Yeah, it'll be fun to find out how that goes for you uh, and that sort of thing. Give us your final thoughts today, James. Well, my final thoughts would actually have to be I would love to see Auburn take it all the way to the national championship this year. So uh, I will be going to a couple of uh, games actually on the Auburn schedule. I will be in Tuscaloosa um, for the first time ever. So it's going to be a very, very good uh, experience for me to actually go to Tuscaloosa to see the Iron Bowl in person. And Yeah. And Congratulations. Actually, That's awesome. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a while since um, – since the beginning of the pandemic, so it will be, uh, it'll be a, it'll be a different feel for me because I'm a Auburn fan, so I might, you know, take a, take a, you know, a look into the mirror and actually seeing some of my old, uh, old friends that I've, um, actually, you know, bumped elbows with when I was actually an Alabama fan at one point. So I know it's gonna, I know it's gonna hurt some people, but it, it I mean, I know it's gonna be making some people mad at me, but, it's all. It, it's just a. It's just a rivalry, just like any other. So it's going to be fun. I'm gonna have fun, and then after the game, I might go and shoot some pool with uh, my sister's boyfriend as well. Well, good luck with that. I hope that you get the opportunity to do that. I think that could be fun. Yes, it's very fun as well. And uh, talk to you all tomorrow in War Eagle. War Eagle. That's our good pal James from Montgomery joining us there on our Auburn Bank phone line. All right, let's take our next time out here on the program. Our show continues in a moment. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to it. Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson hanging out with Tom Peavy, Camberry, and Ryan LaVoy inside our studios here on South College Street on this fine Wednesday. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Auburn Volleyball head coach Brent Crouch stops by to join our program. Looking forward to uh, chatting with him here on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Each and every day, we make sure we take time to celebrate our birthdays in sports, and we're going to do that right now here on Sports Call. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports here today, September 21st, 2022. Here are today's birthdays presented by Max Credit Union. Stop by your local Max Credit Union, one in Auburn on Gay Street, one in Opelika on Frederick Road. Let them help you with all of your banking needs. All right, September 21st birthdays. And, uh, Tom, we were joking a little bit earlier. Ryan brought it up. Or Brooks, maybe. 
It is the 21st night of September. Okay. As the song famously goes. Do you remember? 21st time. September. 21st night of September. Something, something, something. Is that okay? I'll never do that again. I'm Please, so sorry. Don't ever do I'll that never again. do that again. It's all right. I'll I never. honestly. Is that Earth, Wind, and Fire? I don't know. Is that I, who that I, know is? Th- I know that song that you just sang, but I didn't even realize that was the words to that. It, I, I just never even it thought about it. It is Earth, Wind, and Fire. 21st Brooks night of September. Brooks brought it up. I'm amazing. Wow. That a boy. Wow. All right. Here's our birthdays for September 21st. Demarcus Robinson is 28 years old today. That's a current wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. Selected in the fourth round of the 2016 NFL Draft by the Kansas City Chiefs out of Florida. A Super Bowl 54 champion with those Chiefs. Doug Baldwin, 34 years old today. Former wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. Went undrafted in 2011 out of Stanford, but signed with the Seahawks as an undrafted free agent. Super Bowl 48 champion, two-time Pro Bowler, and in 2015 led the NFL in receiving touchdowns. Greg Jennings, 39 years old today. Former NFL wide receiver, selected 52nd overall in the 2006 NFL Draft by the Green Bay Packers out of Western Michigan. Also played for the Vikings and Dolphins. Super Bowl 45 champion, two-time Pro Bowler, and a member of the Packers Hall of Fame. Those are three birthdays so far. All three are wide receivers, and all three are Super Bowl champions. Demarcus Robinson, 28. Doug Baldwin, 34. Greg Jennings, 39. Al Farouk Aminu is celebrating his birthday today. He's 32 years old. He's currently a free agent forward. Selected 8th overall in the 2010 NBA Draft by the Clippers out of Wake Forest. Has also played for the Pelicans, Mavericks, Trailblazers, Magic, and Bulls. Al Farouk Aminu is 32 years old today. And he is not a Super Bowl champion. Not a Super Bowl champion. Yeah, not quite. Uh, hasn't quite accomplished that yet on the hardwood. Uh, Cecil Fielder. Cecil Fielder. Prince's dad. Yes, uh, is celebrating his birthday today. He's 59 years old. Former MLB first baseman designated hitter who played for the Toronto Blue Jays, Detroit Tigers, New York Yankees, Anaheim Angels, and Cleveland Indians. Three-time All-Star, 1996 World Series champion with the Yankees when they defeated the Braves. Two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, twice led the American League in home runs, and the proud father of Prince Fielder, Cecil Fielder, is celebrating his 59th birthday today. Again, he's got a World Series ring. And then finally, Scott Spezio is turning 50 years old today. A former MLB infielder, two-time World Series champion, played for the Oakland Athletics, Anaheim Angels, Seattle Mariners, and St. Louis Cardinals. Scott Spezio is 50 years old. So we had six birthdays today, guys. Demarcus Robinson, Doug Baldwin, Greg Jennings, Al Farouk Amino, Aminu, Cecil Fielder and Scott Spezio, five of the six, won team championships. It was our pal Al Farouk Aminu, who unfortunately has not won an NBA title. But a couple of guys winning World Series rings, a couple of guys winning Super Bowl rings. Nonetheless, happy birthday to Al Farouk Aminu. Do you want a little nugget? Yeah, please do. I was looking this up. So Prince Fielder, 319 homers, uh, 1,028 RBIs. His dad... 319 homers. No way. 1,008 RBIs. No way. They hit the exact same amount of home runs. <laughs> That's incredible. Prince played a little longer, so he had, or had a little better batting average. He hit 280 against 255. 
so he had more hits. But home run and RBI department. Home runs identical. RBIs within a few of each other. It's beautiful. They're going right to have there. great debates in the fielder house. So it no flows better. Kidding. There you go. No kidding. That will continue moving forward for a long, long time. Man, that's our birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. If it is your birthday, we would like to wish a very happy birthday to you. All right, coming up here in just a moment. We're going to be excited to be chatting with our good pal Brent Crouch, the head volleyball coach of the Auburn Tigers. We'll take that commercial break. When we come back, Coach Crouch joins Sports Call right after this on Tiger 95.9 FM. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. Now back to more Sports Call with J.J. Jackson and the guys. Welcome back into Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy. And right now we are so honored to go back to our phone lines and bring on the head volleyball coach of your Auburn Tigers, Brent Crouch, here with us. Auburn off to a remarkable start here this season. 11-0 to begin the year and coming up this weekend, the Tigers jump in to SEC competition. Coach Crouch is here with us now. Coach, the time is greatly appreciated. How much fun have you had to start this season? Uh, I've had the most fun I've had in years, <laughs> to be totally frank with you. You know, I mean, I, I love I love coaching, all, you know, every iteration of, of the team that I get to coach, the program that I'm part of. Um, but, uh, you know, the energy with this group um, combined with the youth and enthusiasm um, and then, of course, getting some wins, um, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we're excited to get SEC play going, and uh, I expect the fun to continue. The youth is certainly something that I want to touch on because we talked about that a lot in the preseason with you. And, uh, you know, you look at this team and the start that you guys have had this season. We talked going into the year, it's one thing to go up against yourselves, but to see another opponent across the net is where you can really learn things about your team. Uh, are you surprised at all by the level of energy and, and the success that you've seen so far? Yeah, I'm not surprised about the level of energy. You know, I, I knew this recruiting class um, and the returners, the young returners from last year, um, you know, we're, we're going to be really excited about this year. You know, the freshmen, have been, they've been committed for a couple years, you know, verbally, and uh, the relationships have been growing. Um, and, you know, I talked to them every few weeks, you know, over those two years before they got here. And, you know, you could feel it, you know, every time I talked to them. And I knew when they got on campus, um, you know, they were already close. They had developed relationships before they even got here with each other. And I knew when they arrived, um, the energy would be high and the enthusiasm would be high. And, uh, you know, building off a nice season last year with, with the returners, they were excited for the freshmen to join and to just get going this year. So, um, yeah, I, I really expected it to feel the way it's feeling, you know, um, but in terms of wins and losses, it's really hard to predict when you have eight new players on the team. You know, more than 60% of the roster is brand new. And we knew we had a lot of talent coming in. Um, but, you know, people are untested, right? They haven't played against Division One athletes. And, and especially this year, you know, so many of the teams we play have, um, you know, rosters that are, that are even older than normal because there's so many kids that are playing. Um, I mean, they're not kids. They're, they're young adults. They're 22 and 23. 
um, and they're back to their COVID year. Um, so just this last team we played, Jacksonville State, for example, their whole starting lineup was fifth-year seniors or graduate students. So anyway, heading into this year, I, I did not know you know what the wins and losses would look like. I, I knew that it would take a little while to get people acclimated to what we're doing and used to the college-level game and, and so on. So that piece of it's been a really nice kind of pleasant surprise. Um, and uh, to win as much as we've done, um, you know, with starting five freshmen, that really bodes well for the future. And coach, with such a young team, given that you have gotten out to this eleven and zero start, does it kind of alter your expectations for what the team uh, can be in SEC play and moving forward? Does it feel like it's moving the timeline up at all? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, you know, I get real hesitant about about making you know predictions about the future. You know, I, I generally am so focused on we got to fix this, we got to fix that, and. Uh, um, so, you know, and I haven't seen, you know, the SEC teams in person yet, obviously. Um, you know, in general, they're, they're winning a ton. You know, I think every team, for the most part, has a winning record heading into the conference. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like yet until we start playing these teams. But uh, I am feeling uh, for sure heading into next year and the year after that, um, I'm feeling very optimistic about, about where the program is headed. Um, this fall is just still, we, we just don't have a ton of time to get a lot better in between matches. But with the spring um, under our belt in the summer, we're going to do a foreign tri- trip this summer and play some teams in Europe. Uh, so we'll get some extra training and some better experience. You know, we, we're real excited about the next two recruiting classes, too. So I was optimistic about the future uh, next year and the year after. But now, now, you know, to your point, I'm very optimistic. You know, I mean, we're setting the goal for NCAA tournament next year. I mean, maybe this year we'll see how it goes in the SEC. But you know, I think next year and the year after, I think we're in and we're a top. You know, I think we're a top fifty team. You know, heading into next year, and then kind of sky's the limit um, after that. So, yeah, it, it feels good to to see them performing at the level they are right now. And, and yeah, the future's bright. And obviously, you start SEC play here coming up with uh, with a big rivalry in Alabama. But as a whole, in the SEC. Uh, the three coaches poll top 25 teams are in the back half of the schedule. So does it kind of uh, help you to kind of – I know it's n- not easing in when it's in conference play, but at least those more formidable opponents are on the back half so that you can kind of start SEC play with, with teams that you feel that you're going to be very competitive with and will kind of get you set for those top 25 teams at the end. Yeah, the schedule is favorable for us. You know, you're, you're right on. Um, the more that we can – get some time to develop what we're doing in practice um, prior to playing a Florida and a Kentucky, the better. Um, so, yeah, I'd prefer to play them later because I, I just we're so much better now than we were a month ago. Um, and I feel it's going to look just the same a month from now. It's going to be another really big jump. Um, and then by the end of November, while we're playing Arkansas, the last last two matches of the year um, at home, I think they're, uh, they're 20 now, I think, or maybe even top 20. Um, I like I like I like our chances late late in the season against those strong teams. Auburn volleyball head coach Brent Crouch is here with us on Sports Call today. I want to talk a little bit more about this SEC schedule, Coach. Coming up this weekend, two matches against Alabama in Tuscaloosa, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. We're going to see that five different times this season, and it's been a trend that started over the past few years. Tell me what you like, what maybe you don't like about seeing the same SEC opponent in the span of 24 hours more than once? 
Well, from a scouting perspective, it's it's awesome. I'd imagine. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're preparing for one team this week, not two different ones. Um, we get to roll out a scouting report, and, you know, we're going to start film today with the players, and we'll have it all put together for them before Friday. We'll get to see it in action Saturday, and then we get to make adjustments, you know, and see, um, you know, what we need to change, if anything, heading into Sunday. So, you know, you don't get to do – um, you know, major scouting adjustments during a match. It's really hard, you know, to do that. Now, you do make adjustments here and there as the sets go by, but you got three minutes between sets, and you can't rewrite whole scouting reports or plans, you know, on the fly. So when you get two matches together like this, it feels like a halftime in between, you know, that volleyball doesn't have. Yeah. So we get to watch those films, you know, make the adjustments and, you know, really see what's happening. So I love that. Um Obviously, the downside is, is just it's hard playing somebody twice from a, from a mental standpoint. You know, um, it's almost it's easier if you lose the first one. Of course, we never want to lose the first one, but if if you do, at least you get a chance to go right back at them. But uh, winning the first, um, you know, it's hard to beat somebody again, and uh, that piece of it is a little more difficult. I like the travel piece of it too, though. You know, it's it's SEC travel is tough, and uh, to not have to go in between you know, sites, um, you know, on a day in between is, is really nice too. But, uh, you know, it's Alabama. You don't need, <laughs> I don't think we need a lot of motivation to play them twice. No kidding. You're writing the script for itself in this conversation, Coach, because that's where I was going to go next. Again, the team 11-0 and to start the year, and a big preseason topic of conversation was the fact that through these first 11 matches, and it's going to continue going into this weekend, you still have only played two home matches, and you were talking about how much fun it's going to be with a new team to get out on the road. It's not volleyball all the time when you're out on the road. There are certain moments where you need to walk away, you need to get to know your players as individuals and that sort of thing. What have you enjoyed the most about the travel now that you're looking back at it, uh, the start of the year that you've had? Well, you named it, you know, just spending time with players, um, uh, you know, just throughout the day when you're not when you're not doing scouting reports. And, you know, we, we've, we've had some fierce card games where I'm losing quite a bit, but uh, <laughs> that's it's been fun. They're teaching me some new games. Uh, you know, we, it was fun watching uh, Auburn football. Um, we've done that twice now. We've, we've set it up in one of the big meeting rooms and got it streaming and, you know, had, had some fun together and some meals. And, uh, you know, you need that with a young team that everybody doesn't know each other yet, you know, super well. Um, so we've been able to jumpstart that by being on the road so much and get to do it again this weekend. And then it kind of evens out a little bit. You know, we get home and away kind of 50-50 the rest of the, rest of the way. But, it's been, um, I would say, you know, especially the last couple of weeks, the team has really come together, um, connected. You know, you see everybody hanging out with everybody. You see a lot of smiles, um, a lot of good energy, and uh, it's really special to see. It's definitely a really tight team um, that's developed over the last couple of weeks. Talking about your team in specific, Coach, we'll get into a couple of the players and individual performances that we've seen so far. Timely here this week that uh, your setter, Jackie Barrett, has been named SEC Setter of the Week. Tell us a little bit about this and her play as of late. Yeah, it's the best she's ever played, I think, this last weekend. And there were two areas I thought she really shined. Um, One was her choices of who to set and when. Um, You know, we we were pretty... 
you know, we were we were going to just maybe one or two hitters last year most of the time, and, and this year, you know, we've got we've got some more depth at all the hitting positions. So Jackie's doing a really nice job spreading the ball around, and it basically, you know, in any sport, it doesn't matter, right? If you if you can distribute the ball around, whether you're a quarterback distributing it to a bunch of different wide receivers, or you know, a basketball team that's finding shots for everybody. It's the same with volleyball. If you can find swings for everyone, um, it just softens the defense up. They can't overload in certain areas. They can't key on people. And uh, she did a great job of that this weekend, the best that I've seen her do, especially in the Jacksonville State match, um, the last one of the, of the weekend. Um, so that stood out. So our hitting efficiency was really high. In that first set against Jacksonville State, we hit over 400. And that's a good – I mean, that team was undefeated. They've beaten good teams, beaten Power 5 teams, Indiana, Clemson, some other ones. And uh, to come out on fire like that, um, it was a big deal to see it. Definitely the highest level we've, we've played offensively in that match. Um, but flipping to the other side of the game, defensively, you know, she's really made some progress um, digging the ball in particular. So when she's in the back row and handling hard-driven balls, in one rally in particular, we were up 13-11 in the fifth. And so we were getting real close, you know, to that magic number 15, you know, to win the match. Um, but you're not there yet, you know, and it's it's on the road. And, you know, those last couple points are the hardest ones to earn. You know, teams are going to make you earn them. And the crowd was all over us, and she came up with three digs in one rally at 13-11. And, and the last one was an absolute hammer by the uh, German graduate student opposite for uh, Jacksonville State. Mm-hmm. She's a lefty and just crushed it at Jackie Lowe. And she got down on her knees and dug this thing perfectly, and we got a set to Akasha, um, and not a system set to her, and she killed it to make it 14-11. And to me, that was the match. It was that It was that rally. And, um, you know, to see her dig the ball like that, you know, it's been some real growth, you know, from her in the, in the back row the last few years. And she had a great weekend, and she, it was, you know, well-earned award. I'm glad she got the recognition. Also notably for your team, we talk about the youth and experience or lack of experience going into the season. The one senior coming back, Rebecca Rath, we know her so well uh, from what she was able to do a season ago, has only appeared in, in four matches so far for you this season. Uh, needing some of those younger freshmen to step up, who stood out to you? Well, all three of the pins that played, well, actually all four of them. There you go. Played, you know, so you got, you got Bell Zimmerman on the right. Had a, had a great weekend um, attacking, really good hitting efficiency. Her kill percentage was really high, uh, and she's got some incredibly good range. She can she can hit more spots on the court than any of our hitters right now. She can hit line, she can hit angle, she can hit sharp angle. Uh, she can do it on both sides. She can do it on the right, she can do it on the left, and uh, she's very advanced. And as she gets stronger and jumps higher and adds a little bit more power, it, it, she's going to be really special. Um, Asha and Madison are the two left sides right now, and they're doing great. I mean, Madison is up in the front row with our setter, meaning that, you know, she's going to have some blockers that are loading to her, you know, a lot of the time. And uh, she's so physical, you know, she's hitting over over blockers, you know, and uh, gets her feet to the ball really well, jumps high and is hitting high line and high angle and uh, had a great weekend. And then Akasha is, uh, you know, out of the three, she's playing all the way around. So she's playing six rotations, um, lots of kills for us. Um, it hits the hardest of anyone on the team. And, uh, you know, but what she did so well against Jacksonville was receive serve. And they keyed on her and she handled it the whole match. It was great. And then Kendall Kemp is uh, our six six middle blocker who, uh, you know, hit really well against Jacksonville State. Um, and, uh, 
you know, there's, those are four big bangers right there. And then you got Sarah Morton in the back row playing libero, digging and passing for us. And, you know, that's five, five freshmen that are playing a lot. And then Zoe Slaughter is number six, you know, playing uh, defensive specialist in, in the back right corner for us. And I, we just, you know, I don't know the math exactly. I haven't gone through every NCAA team, but we have got to be the youngest team um, in the country, certainly in the power five and a hundred percent in the SEC. And, uh, it's just I'm just so excited for the future because there's so much room for them to grow, you know? I mean, it's been a month of training. That's not <laughs> – there's so many shots that they can develop. There's so many reads they can make on defense that they're not doing yet. So I'm just – I'm very enthusiastic about where things are going with the, with the young players. It's quite the sales pitch to get folks to come out and watch your club because, again, they've had very little opportunities to do so far. So far, Only two matches at home mm-hmm. out of the first 11. One week from today, uh, you back at home inside Neville Arena against Mississippi State. Tell me about the support that you're hoping for throughout the rest of the way for those home matches, Coach. Yeah, well, our team lights up in front of big crowds. You know, I saw this when they were undergrads or uh, in high school and they were playing in big matches. And one of the things I liked about all of them was they played the best when it mattered the most and they had the most pressure on them. And, you know, they were all in big games for their high schools. Most of them were on teams that won state championships. And in every case, they were the players that were carrying their team. So they, they, they want the crowd. They feed off the crowd. And, uh, you know, to have the kind of support that we know the Auburn family can bring, um, it's just going to light them on fire and they're going to want to show off for everybody. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to shy away. They, they, they want the opposite. Um, and we saw that, that this weekend, you know, they had a pretty good crowd uh, on the road at Jacksonville state. Um, and, uh, a couple thousand actually, and it was deafening loud, especially the last three sets and into the fifth. And, and we played the best, you know, when that was happening. So, you know, as the crowd gets bigger, you know, they show up more, and we're excited for the Auburn family to come out and support us once we get it home next week. And we know it's going to be a great crowd, and we're ready to show off for them. It's going to be a lot of fun. Coach, it's so much fun to catch up with you and to see this team's success so far this season. Uh, best of wishes. Good luck this weekend against the Crimson Tide. And thank you for coming on the radio show today. We appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me. War Eagle. War Eagle. That's Auburn volleyball coach Brent Crouch, and he's joining us here on Sports Call. The biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call. We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call podcast. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here inside the studio with Tom Peavy and Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry as well. Our thanks again to Auburn Volleyball Head Coach Brent Crouch for joining us on the radio show there today. Again, Auburn is 11-0 
to start the season. Like, really fun to watch this program. It is a program that's only been to the NCAA tournament once in its history. And Athletics Director Alan Green, that was a, a better hire, if I say so myself. Uh, bringing Brent Crouch into the fold from USC out in California. Yep. Look, the SEC can just pay some money and uh, get some good coaches to come across the way. And here we are, an 11-0 start in Coach Crouch's third season on the job. Yeah, uh, an incredible job that he's done there, having them at 11-0. And, and you mentioned the, the program has never gone to the NCAA tournament, but, I mean, this is a program that has been – Cellar dwellers of the SEC. I mean, it is it is a an F, a, a sport program here at Auburn that has had almost zero success throughout throughout its history. I yeah. mean, and, I mean, bad, really, really, really bad historically. To be able to come in and get them turned around to an eleven zero season as you're heading into this SEC play and and things are looking on the up and up. That's going to draw in more recruits. That's going to just keep building that program. And, and a lot of times it just takes one good year to kind of get things turned back around. And, and he looks like he's doing it. And, and there's some great volleyball teams in the SEC. There always have been. Florida has always been really good. Uh, I think Florida's won a couple national titles. Kentucky not... is the reigning national champion. Oh, Kentucky. See, and I didn't know that. So yeah. Kentucky is the, the reigning national champ. Florida, like I said, has always been really good. Um, you know, it's it's nice to have another team that, can get in there and compete and if you're an auburn fan like it's that old cliche thing that pat die said you know alabama fans love alabama football auburn fans love auburn amen and yeah. so you know auburn fans are going to be getting excited the the more that this keeps going and going and building that program auburn fans are going to get get in behind that and start supporting it a lot more in our preseason conversation with coach crouch we talked about the fact also that this is the first time ever first time ever in the history of auburn volleyball where they do not have a single player from the state of Alabama or Georgia. I'll say that again for people. Mm -hmm. This is the first time ever in the history of Auburn volleyball where they do not have a single player on the roster from the state of Georgia or Alabama. That's not a knock against yeah, prior teams. That's right. just like, hey, the South hasn't traditionally cared as much about the sport. And when you go out West, when you go to the Midwest and you recruit, those top players over the years were saying, why go to Auburn? What is there about Auburn? And so then Auburn is taking players from Georgia and Alabama. And now in his third season this year, Coach Crouch was able to say, you're great. Yes, you might be the best player in the state of Alabama or the best player in the state of Georgia. But guess what? You're not those players from the Louisville Kentuckys, from the Indianapolis Indianas, from the Los Angeles Californias of the world. And now those players are interested yeah. in coming and playing for Auburn. And that's what you have to do as a program. It's it's similar to a football program that does not is not able to get any guys from the southeast part of the United States, from from Texas, Florida, Georgia, those those hotbed football recruiting areas. If you're a football team that can't get those guys, then you're really behind the the ones that are. Uh, you can look at basketball. You know, if you're not recruiting from the Atlanta area in basketball, yeah. then you're missing out. Very if you're much if, so. if you're not recruiting from the Midwest, you know, in from, basketball, you're missing the Carolinas, out. Carolinas yeah. and the Carolinas, then you're missing out. Volleyball is the same way, uh, especially the West Coast. I, I, I they didn't love volleyball out there in the West Coast. Man, it makes I, sense, listen, though. I'm telling you the one the one time the one time that I've been to California and uh, I was in uh, 
Santa Cruz, California. We were on the beach. Uh, the first time I ever got to see and put my feet in the Pacific Ocean. Santa Cruz, I mean, a couple of guys decided we wanted to play some beach volleyball. And some of the locals came up, and we were playing four-man beach volleyball out there in Santa Cruz, California. And that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but that's how it is in California. It's like those folks, those folks play volleyball like we play baseball. And it's the same thing with the men and the women out there in California. It's it's huge. Volleyball is massive. It's part of their out culture. There. It is part life. of their culture. Yeah. And, and you have to be able to go and recruit them. Uh, same thing like you mentioned up in that Kentucky area that volleyball is so big. You have to be able to get those types of players to come here and play, and, and Auburn had not been able to do that. Once you get that program going in the right direction, you start getting them, and, and you can do some stuff. Uh, comparatively to softball, same thing. You go out west where softball is, you start bringing, you start bringing in players from the west coast to come and play softball, you're, you're doing something, and – you saw that with softball. They were able to start bringing some West Coasters in here, and next thing you know, they're playing for World Series. So uh, you have to go where the talent is and bring that talent to you, and looks like he's doing that. Good stuff for Coach Crouch with what he's been able to do with this Auburn volleyball program, and now they take on Alabama twice this weekend, once on Saturday, once on Sunday. A really weird schedule adjustment that we've seen over the last two or three years. Auburn's going to have five SEC kind of back-to-back matches uh, in the course of their schedule here as it winds down or, or jumps up, I should say, into uh, SEC play now that the non-conference portion has come to a close. Our thanks again to Coach Crouch for joining us here on Sports Call. All right, we have reached the end of hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, Stephen Pearl, Bob Pachris, they're set to join the show and covering the bases with Eric McDade, State Farm, in the final hour of Sports Call as well. Alongside Tom, Cam, and Ryan, my name is J.J. Jackson. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy. 
Cam Barry and Ryan Lavoie. Coming up here this hour, we're going to chat with Stephen Pearl, an assistant coach for the Auburn men's basketball team. We will also chat with Bob Pockris from NASCAR Fox Sports. Two great guests coming up on the program here in the hour. We do, however, want to give you a little bit of Auburn football topics and conversation, four or five minutes until we got to get to a break and set up that chat with Coach Stephen Pearl. And guys, you take a look at this Auburn game versus Missouri. So many questions about the quarterback position. TJ Finley's status up in the air. A really, really good number of reporters covering this Auburn football team are reporting that TJ Finley will not be available to play. Uh, Coach Harson spoke on the SEC teleconference today, and Coach Harson said, quote, all of our guys are at practice. Did not specify if they were participating or not, but that they were at practice. Uh, yeah, not uh, not the biggest vote of confidence, not the no. best way to, to win over a fan base that wants to hear from this man uh, at this point. And so uh, it does appear that Robbie Ashford will be the guy for Auburn football. Also conflicting reports out there about Zach Calzada's status. Is he competing for the job? Or there are reports from some reporters uh, that Calzada is mulling over the idea of a potential shoulder surgery uh, to maintain or to obtain, I should say, a medical red shirt for this season. So a lot of big question marks about that quarterback position. Which yeah. then, So then, then that would bring uh, Holden Gurner into, into the mix, which, you know, Gurner was expected to be red shirted, but, you know, if he plays hey, one game, I, that doesn't burn the red shirt, though. No, it? no, it no. doesn't. But I mean, it doesn't. But you know, if if, if Finley, if Finley is out, you know, if Finley is out, if Calzada is out, obviously that leaves just the two that you right. have. Um, and you really I, I, you can't know, rely it, on just Robbie as a passer, right? I feel like and and, and honestly, at this seen. honestly at this point, I wouldn't mind seeing Gurner, uh, very highly recruited quarterback coming in, yeah. four star uh, out of the Savannah, Harson Georgia area. Yeah, like Harson loves him so. Um, uh, you know, hey, Auburn's got to find something. But the, but the thing is, uh, you could have Joe Montana back there, but if you still don't have the offensive line that can yeah. block consistently for him, it doesn't matter who's back there. Uh, you're you're going to struggle in the run game, and you're going to struggle in pass protection if your offensive line is just as bad as they were against Penn State. So we, we can sit here and mull over the quarterback and everything, which it is important, but – Matter the, the offense not going to matter at all if you if you can't yeah. fix what's happening up in front of them then it, it really doesn't matter who's back there taking snaps. I want to get a phone call in here before we get to uh, Stephen Pearl coming up in the program after this next break three three four eight eight seven thirty four zero one or toll free at one triple eight nine tiger nine if you would like to call in and be a part of Sports Call. We go to the phone lines calling us now. We've got Terry from Auburn. Terry has called into the program. Terry, good to hear from you. Good talk to you guys. How y'all doing today? Well, thanks Great. for asking. Doing well, sir. Fantastic. I wonder if you guys think it might be just too far, that things have gone too far, that the Auburn's are still, is kind of at a point of an overturn. Horse is probably going to be dismissed. Um, are we at that stage? where it's kind Because of, remember back, well, I don't know if you guys are probably too young to remember this, but back when Bill Curry left Alabama to go to Kentucky, it got to a point where it was just there was no turning back. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't say, okay, I made a mistake. I want to come back to Alabama. Right. Now that's I realize that's a long time ago, but you, 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 it's a comparison. Sure. Um, it, I mean, obviously things can change. I think where we sit right now, as we talk, I think that it has gotten to the point that it most feel like that he's not going to be here next year. Uh, I don't think there's a writer out there, uh, a, a sports writer or newscaster or anybody 
any football expert that thinks that Harson's going to be able to survive this season. Now, whether it happens during the season or until the after the season, don't know. But I, most people think that it's it's pretty much inevitable by now. And um, you know, and, and in that case, you know, I don't know. Rip the bandaid off early or or rip it off at the end of the season. I don't know. Uh, it just kind of depends on what happens in these games. But I, I think Harson and that group, they're they're right now. They're focused on Missouri. I think the players are focused on Missouri, and if they take care of business, then he'll be okay for another week. If they lose to Missouri, it would not surprise me if they fired him right then and there. Well, if they lose to Missouri, I don't think he make it to the press conference. I, you know, and I don't. I, it could be one of those Herm Edwards things. I don't know if you saw Herm Edwards walking off the field uh, after that loss and met with the AD uh, mm-hmm. right there in the back of the end zone. Now, I don't know that the AD necessarily fired him right there, but they had a conversation. That it could have been construed that way so uh you know i don't know uh, if he loses to Missouri, if he loses to missouri it, it's it's gonna be rough to keep him around well it's got it's got the it's got the makings of losing Missouri, got the makings of 2012 where chizik lost the team yeah no ab- absolutely uh it, it it's got a 2012 vibe to it um mm-hmm. just from a talent standpoint or lack mm-hmm. thereof uh and other strong teams around you and then yeah it's going to be hard to hang on to the team when you're lo- if you start losing. Uh, winning winning cures that, but if you're just losing and things aren't going good, then you're going to end up losing the team. Now, I will say this: part of part of what Chiswick lost, where part of where Chiswick lost the team in 2012, were some of the off the field things that Chiswick started implementing, like curfews and things like that. And we haven't heard that Harson's do anything that drastic. But the players really kind of turned against Chiswick once he started confining them into their dorm rooms and bringing security around to their personal places to make sure that they were within the curfew. Uh, That really soured guys towards Chiswick. And, you know, we haven't heard anything even remotely close to that with Harson. Well, you know what the biggest difference between Chiswick and Harson is? Chiswick was a complete idiot. (laughs) Um. So, I, I don't know, guys. When you, when you go back to when Harson was hired, did you guys see the photograph they took on the field with him and his wife and his kids? I don't, I don't remember that specific okay. photo. It, it, looked like, it looked like a photograph from Safe by the Bell. Oh. Because you're moving from, you know, Boise, Idaho to Auburn. That's, that's, that was at 3,000 miles or so. I don't, I'm not a geography guy, so, right. you know. It's a long it's a way. Long way. That's a long way, yeah. It's a long, I mean, that's a big-time culture change right there. And, I, and I've always been a proponent that, in Boise, you don't have Nick Saban across the state, and you don't have Kirby Smart over the state line. Yeah, well, so here's the thing. And, you know, with Brian Harson coming down here, he Brian Harson had some familiarity with the southeastern part of the United States because it wasn't like he has spent his entire career in Idaho. I mean, he has some experience in the southeast, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And and But it is going to be a culture change when your main recruiting group is up there in that area. You're at a school that kind of recruits the the two and three star players and and builds them up into something. It's a it's a completely different culture shock when you come down and you get into the hotbed of the SEC, where you have to do things to compete with the Kirby Smarts and the Nick Sabins of the world and the Jimbo Fishers. You have to be able to go into the houses of these kids and convince them to come to Auburn. It, it is cutthroat. The recruiting, I mean, it is down, dirty, nasty, cutthroat anything that you could possibly imagine that is how recruiting is in the sec and it's yeah. not like that at boise I, I it i'm sure there's things that go on around that in those parts but it is not as nasty and cutthroat in the sec and so went, as far as culture shock that's that's a huge culture shock when you get in here and you have to realize that 
you have to get down in the mud with these guys. Right. I went out to uh, uh, or out to Auburn to win the national title in ten out out to Arizona uh, to watch him play Oregon. And after the game, the Oregon fans didn't seem as upset. And I said, when I when I see an SEC team, there's a lot of venom out of it, just hatred and venom and, and anger. It wasn't that way with Oregon. They just walked in. Oh, he lost. A big deal. Yeah. I just I was like, uh, okay, there's your difference right there. When the SEC team loses, it's rough. No, and you got fans like me that come out. <laughs> Yes, sir. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Terry, yeah. thanks for Take the call today. All right, that's our good pal Terry from Auburn, formerly from Talladega, joining us on Sports Call. We're due up against a break. On the other side of this break, incredibly honored, Stephen Pearl is going to be on Sports Call, assistant basketball coach for your Auburn Tigers. They had a trip to Israel this summer. They've been busy with first-round draft picks this past season. Coach Pearl also got married a few weeks ago. Busy, busy summer. We'll talk about all of that coming up in just a moment here on Sports Call. Follow us on tweeters. Follow our Sports Call host, J.J. Jackson, on Twitter by searching at underscore J.J. underscore Jackson underscore. And follow the show on Twitter by searching at Sports Call AU. Hashtag, is that two words? We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson and Ryan LaVoy in the Auburn area at our studios on South College Street. And so thrilled to go to the phone lines and chat with our next guest, a very special guest, an assistant coach for the Auburn Tigers, Stephen Pearl, kind enough to join us here today. Coach, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you? JJ, Ryan, I'm doing very well. How are you guys doing? Very well as well. Thank you for asking. It has been uh, quite the summer for you when you think about uh, a team celebrating a couple of first-round draft picks, your foreign tour to Israel, celebrating the SEC championship this past weekend, and oh yeah, let's throw in the fact that you got married officially this summer. Uh, <laughs> how, how, would you, uh, how would you best describe the summer that you've had? Yeah, it's been busy, to say the least. I mean, it feels like the season really never ended, uh, like you said, going from uh, an SEC championship to the NCAA tournament to Walker and Jabari uh, getting drafted in the first round to bringing our new our new players in, you know, being the transfer portal, um, having summer workouts, having 10 extra practices for our trip to Israel, actually going to Israel, and then all the while trying to not step in the way of my, my wife uh, and her trying to plan our wedding uh, that was going on in August. So it, it was a wild summer, but, but an amazing one for sure. And here we are now on the eve of another college basketball season getting started, and what a fun group that you've got coming in. More freshmen added to the mix, a couple of transfers joining the fun as well. From the basketball side of things, getting to see these guys in summer workouts, what do you enjoy the most about summer? The best part about summer is just the development aspect of things. Summer is a really good time to, to really hone in on your skills, work on some things that you, know, you may not have been as good at the year before, but also just trying to perfect a few things that you are really good at. So uh, taking what we did last year, guys you know, wanting to improve on certain things, uh, us as a team having to improve on certain things, but then also trying to figure out how these new guys fit in. You know, We have three freshmen and a, and a transfer uh, four guys that you know are, are all really good players, and we got to find ways to kind of plug them into to gaps. 
uh, a very interesting part of it this year was obviously trying to replace two first-round draft picks, you know, Jabari and Walker, you know, arguably two of the, the best big men to ever play at Auburn. You know, how, how do you fill those roles? How do you fill those holes and, and, and those points and those block shots and those minutes? And, you know, I thought, I thought we did a really good job of, of landing a couple of really good players in, in Janai Broom and Yoan Charor, um, two really talented prospects, uh, guys that we think can, can really help us at those positions. But then adding some depth, you know, to our backcourt uh, with Chance Westry, you know, and, and Trey Donaldson. Um, so watching those guys come in, you know, trying to figure out the system, understand the system, you know, obviously what was really important this summer. And for new guys, these foreign trips are, are so important, and especially just for the chemistry of the team because, you know, per NCAA rules, when you go on these foreign trips, you get an additional 10 days of practice, which for a coach is huge because you get to put in a lot of things in those 10 days that you'd usually be spending time putting in next week when we officially start practice. Uh, that stuff's already been taken care of, so we're already a little bit ahead of the eight ball um, and it just, it's just really, it's really beneficial for, for team building, for chemistry, going, to, you know, going across the water like that, especially to a place like Israel, which is such an amazing experience. The kids had a blast. And you know, just on the court and off the court, um, it, it was just an amazing, amazing trip. Let's talk a little bit about, more about Israel. And, and obviously, Stephen, that was a trip that, uh, A, teams only get to go on every so often because of, of NCAA rules. It's not something you can do every single year. But uh, the, the lead-up to it, both uh, personally and professionally, uh, was very noteworthy. Obviously, Bruce was, was someone that was really excited about the trip and, and wanting to uh, have that mean a lot as a basketball experience, but also as a life experience. So what did it live up to? All expectations exceed them. What was that trip like? Yeah, I would say it far exceeded all my expectations. I'm, I, I was there in 2009. I played the Maccabi Games, won a gold medal. You know, Leor Berman actually just went over and put gold medals. But time I was there in 2009, you know, fast forward, you know, 13 years to 2022, Israel has just grown in so many different ways and it's become such a beautiful, beautiful place. It obviously has all the rich traditions of, you know, the, the biblical aspects and of the Torah. Um, but, you know, the city itself has grown. Now, obviously, you know, leading up to the trip, you know, this is something that, that BP is very passionate about. Israel is something that he's very passionate about. He, he, takes, he takes people over there every man on a big trip um, with USIEA. Um, and, uh, you know, it's something that he really wants to introduce to the world of college basketball. Professional basketball is a big deal in Israel. One of the best leagues in, in the world besides the NBA to play professionally. Uh, you know, Americans love going over there to play. And it's just a beautiful place full of rich tradition and food um, and, and culture. And, you know, to get a trip together to allow our guys to experience it, to be the first high major basketball program to take their team to Israel. You know, I think Connecticut did it years ago, um, but Auburn being the first, you know, Power 5 team to, uh, to go over to Israel uh, to break down some, some, some barriers you know, obviously, there was a ton of education that led up this trip. You know, we had a lot of speakers come in on multiple fronts just to discuss what it's like to go to Israel, talk about the realities of what Israel is, talk about, you know, some of the tensions of some of the surrounding territories around Israel and why there, there are tensions, and, and to allow our kids to understand, you know, just the history of, of that. And then, obviously, the whole biblical aspect of things. A lot of our guys are obviously very into the book, so being able to understand, like, where they're going to be, where Jesus was, 
the different things that he did in those different locations, why these things are, are so important you know, to, to their religious history was amazing. And being able to see both sides of it. I think one of the biggest things that our guys came to understand was we're so much, we're so much more similar than we are different. In the world today, I think that's something that gets lost in translation is we always concentrate on our differences. But one of the things that Israel does, I think it really does do a great job of telling us how similar we are in so many different ways. Um, but then to actually get over there, to actually experience those things, to see our guys, you know, obviously going on the tours and how invested and locked in they were uh, to wanting to learn, you know, for the coach is very rewarding because I've been on a few of these foreign trips before and, you know, the, the whole touring aspect isn't great because they just don't really care. Um, just, you know, you're going to see the Coliseum if you go to Rome, you know, like you're going to see different things in Italy, which, you know, the guys can get excited for for 10 minutes, but to see our guys being intrigued and locked in the entire time, it was really cool because there was a vested interest there because their coach really cares about it, but they also care about it because it's something that they've grown up on. Um, you know, the trip was incredible. Obviously, all the tours, it was organized incredibly well. The food was amazing. You know, we played three games, you know, uh, two of which were, were pretty good competition. One of them was obviously against a team that has nothing but first division pros and NBA players. So we got a great experience, a, a good taste of, of what it was like to, to play some really good players. And then also, you know, the, the most important part for us outside of all the religious aspects of things, just understanding what our team's all about and, and getting to learn this, this new team and what, what this year is going to look like. A truly special trip indeed. And, and Stephen, you kind of you've already talked a little bit about it, but you get the 10 extra practices, you get those three games. So as we approach the season that is just over a month away now, uh, where do you think the status of this team is? Do you feel it's ahead of schedule based off prior years or right on schedule? Where do you think this team is at uh, in, in the developmental process and, and where do you like to see it? I mean, it's hard to compare to prior teams because every team that – if you think about the teams that we've had over the last five years, like they've been – our teams have been so different, you know. Like in 2018, like that team was, you know, really small um, and just really athletic and had a lot of really good shooters. And, you know, we found a way offensively to win a championship. Um, you know, last year's team was probably – last year's team and the COVID year team were both probably better defensively. The Final Four team – was an elite offensive group. So, like, every single team has been so different. But as far as just, like, as a staff, like, I think we're just ahead of schedule just because we were able to get those 10 additional practices. Our guys were allowed to obviously play a little more organized basketball this summer just because we had to practice. We had to put put in the, the beginnings of our offense. So we're ahead from that standpoint, just understanding what we're going to be looking to do in our first couple games. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, you know, comparing them to other teams in the past, it's hard to do because it's such a long season. And, you know, I would expect this team, as the year goes on, you know, to continue to grow and evolve and get better, and that's kind of what we're, we're, we're hoping. Stephen Pearls here with us on Sports Call today talking about Auburn men's basketball the season just over a month away from getting started. And, Coach, you take a look at the roster, obviously a bunch of new players coming in. Before we even focus on anything like that, I never hear as much about this coaching staff for Auburn men's basketball because year to year it's primarily the same guys. Being a part of that staff in itself, speak to what that means to know that they are committed to Auburn, each and every one of you guys coming back year after year. I'm sure there are other opportunities out there for everyone involved, and yet there's something about this place, something about this program that you each want to get to keep continue to be a part of. 
Yeah, that's a great question, JJ. I mean, it's it, it speaks volumes to one Auburn. You know, Auburn is a special place. Um, you know, these men have have moved their families down here, and their families have grown to love Auburn because you know, let's face it, it's just it's an amazing it's an amazing environment. There's amazing people here. Um, but on top of that, we've built a really really healthy culture uh, with Auburn basketball. That's something that's hard to find. I think you see a lot of these assistant coaches and staffs kind of splitting up and moving on because they're looking for better things. Well, we think we got the best thing right here in Auburn, Alabama. Um, and obviously, I think it would take something special for any of us to want to leave. Have we had opportunities to leave? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, the culture that we've built here, you know, being able to work for Bruce Pearl, who's, you know, one of the best bosses, one of the best coaches in all of college basketball, it's hard to find all those things that kind of come together uh, cohesively and, and form what we've kind of, you know, come accustomed to. Um, so it does speak volumes uh, of the actual town itself, of the people, of the university, and of our program that, you know, none of these guys have really wanted to, to leave. Now, obviously, you know, winning has played a part in that, and that's something that we love. But, you know, we, we went to the Final Four in 2019, and we got a taste of that. And to do that at, at a place like Auburn is so much more special just because, you know, it hasn't been done before, right? Um, so to do those types of things, uh, at Auburn, it's special. It makes you want to do it again and again because um, Auburn appreciates when you, when you put the time and effort and the energy into making it a winner, and that's something that we want to continue to do and continue to build off of. And when you're on a coaching staff that continues to win championships and have rings to celebrate it, and you got somebody like your recruiting coordinator and Mike Burgomaster who wants to wear every single ring to the field of Jordan-Hare Stadium this past weekend, <laughs> why leave when you can show off all the bling, Stephen? Yeah, that that was quite the flex by Coach Burgermaster to go out on the field with, with four rings. I was I was a little surprised, but uh, I, I respected it. <laughs> All right, so looking at this year's team in particular, with so many newcomers coming in, and you got Janai Broom transferring into the program, play style wise, what can fans expect? Uh, I think you'll see, you know, pretty pretty similar to the past. We'll play. We're always going to play up tempo. You know, we're always going to get up and down. We're going to try and create offense from our defense. Um, you know, that, that's going to stay consistent. You know, um, not a lot's going to change as far as just how we play offensively, you know, because we, we have four men that can stretch the four and shoot it. You know, obviously you got Jalen Williams and, and Yoan Trejo are both playing the four. They can both shoot the ball from three. So, you know, expect them to do a lot of that, kind of like we've done in the past. Um, you know, Janai is going to be probably our best back-to-basket score that we've had in a long time at Auburn. Uh, we haven't had a guy that's consistently been able to post up and make plays down there, but that's kind of always been his thing. Um, so expect that out of Janai. You know, the guards are going to do what they do. We're going to get up and down. We're going to shoot threes. We're going to play fast. We're going to share the ball. I was going to zip around the perimeter. Um, so the style of play is not going to change a whole lot. Um, I think it'll be more of a by-committee thing. If somebody's going to have a big game each and every night. It's not going to be the same guy over and over, kind of like it was with Jabari at certain stretches of the year. You know, you're going to have KD, you're going to have Wendell, you're going to have Al, you're going to have Zepp, you're going to have uh, Janai, you're going to have Jay, like, you know, Chance, like all those guys, Yoan, they could all go off for big nights. So I think that it's going to really be by, you know, which guy's having the hot hand. It's not going to be, you know, there's going to be multiple double-digit scores on the floor every single night, and um, you know, I think that's what makes teams dangerous when you got multiple guys out there that can put it in the hoop. 
What do you make of the schedule now that we've been able to look at this entire schedule before SEC play that we're so accustomed to, but a non-conference portion where you're always trying to find ways to get your team set up to compete in the SEC? Break down the schedule for us. Well, I'm sure as hell did that. I looked at a, uh, a metric the other day, basically the toughest non-conference schedule is best based off the net rankings, and I think we were like number 10 in the country. Wow. So it's safe to say that this is probably the toughest non-conference schedule that, that we've put together. So, you know, you want to talk about Mike Burgomaster wearing all his rings. You can blame Mike Burgomaster for our tough schedule this year. <laughs> he's the one that's in charge of scheduling. So, um, but no, it's, it's important, you know. Um, you know, we're playing Memphis and Atlanta. We're playing St. Louis, who's a top 25 team in Auburn this year. You know, we're playing at USC. We're playing at Washington. You know, our schedule is no joke this year. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to do a really good job of, one, getting us ready for the SEC schedule, um, and, two, just letting us, you know, figure out some adversity before the season really gets started. Um, sometimes teams play these cupcake non-conference schedules, and they don't deal with any adversity before they get to conference play. Uh, it's not going to be the case here, you know, with the Auburn Tigers this year. We're going to learn a lot about our guys pretty quickly because we're going to play some really good teams that are going to challenge us that are going to reveal some things about ourselves that, you know, we'll have to figure out as, as the year goes on. But that's what it's all about. Because once you get in the SEC play, as you guys know, like, you know, it's a gauntlet. You know, for us to win 15 games in this conference last year was incredible. Um, something that's really hard to do in the SEC just because, you know, every single night you're playing against a team that can beat you. You know, we, we almost lost to Georgia last year at Georgia, um, and that was the worst team in our conference. That just tells you that any anyone on any given night, you know, can obviously have a good game and beat you so you got to be on top of your game i think our non-conference schedule will we'll do a good job of getting us ready for that we're counting down the days at this point until that season gets started and we know that you are as well the time again so greatly appreciated i want to start to wrap up our conversation here today again Stephen pearl is our guest here on sports call you're asked so frequently about what it's like to be on the staff of your father and to have that father-son dynamic and that sort of thing i don't necessarily want to go in that direction i'm just curious from the transition from playing to coaching in your life, growing up, I would imagine, Steve, when you heard Coach Pearl, you knew that folks were always referring to your father. When did Coach Pearl feel normal to you, or does it even feel normal? Yeah, I only have called him dad since, like, middle school. So Coach Pearl's been the norm for the past, like, however many years that's been. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's just kind of how it's just been the consistent, you know. Uh, BP, Coach Pearl, it's just kind of who he's been since, since high school, really. And that's, you know, kind of just what it's always been. Um, you know, playing for him at Tennessee, you know, we, there was a lot of highs and a lot of lows when you play for your dad because, you know, you, you want to be out there, but he's going to do everything he can to make sure that you earn your spot, earn your minutes, and earn your time. So I will say it was a hell of a lot easier, um, you know, coaching for him right now than it was playing for him. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's obviously it's been an amazing blessing. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun to do this together. Um, because, you know, it's when you go through good times and bad times, you want to do it with your family, right? And uh, we've done that. We've been lucky enough to do that together at Auburn and be able to, you know, which is crazy that we're starting year nine at Auburn, um, to be able to do it with him and the rest of his coaching staff, who, who we all consider his family. You know, there's nothing better than that. And, uh, you know, just looking forward to, to continue doing it. What about people referring to you as Coach Pearl? Has that become normal at any point, or are you still thinking that they're referring to your dad if another person says it? Uh, I mean, it, no, it's kind, of, it's kind of a little more normal. Um, you know, it's either Coach Pearl or, or BP or Bruce's son. So I've gotten used <laughs> to that. And now, 
the other day, somebody uh, at the football game asked if I was Brittany's husband, so that was a new <laughs> one. So I was very, very excited for for a new a new name, a new name tag. So it's, uh, it's it was all good. What's your pickup game looking like these days? And my, I got a pinch disc in my lower back. I, I'm not playing any pickup basketball. I'm just, I just try and stay in shape. No, no, no pickup basketball. I'm not trying to tear an ACL out there. I, I like walking around too much, you know. Good problem to have. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time, and uh, it's always good to catch up, talk a little Auburn men's basketball. I'll have to do this again sometime soon. Okay. Absolutely, fellas. Appreciate you guys. That is Stephen Pearl joining us here on Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. And welcome back into Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. We're seriously talking about everything on the program today, and we are grateful for that. Our thanks again to Stephen Pearl, the assistant men's basketball coach for your Auburn University Tigers, for joining us a moment ago. Talked with Brent Crouch, the Auburn volleyball coach, Earlier in the program, Auburn football, of course, preparing for homecoming this weekend as they will take on Missouri. And now we're so thrilled to be able to go to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on Bob Pachris, a NASCAR extraordinaire reporter, back with us here on the program to talk a little racing with us. Bob, the time is greatly appreciated. How's your Wednesday going so far, my friend? Uh, It's going great. Uh, Just uh, getting ready for the second round of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. So it's a trip to Talladega in about a, in about a week and a half. Yeah, you're close. You're close to being able to come down our way. Of course, you got to stop in Texas first. And uh, what a fun first round of the playoffs that it was for the sport. Three non-playoff drivers were able to uh, find themselves in victory lane. How in the world does that happen? <laughs> That's a great question. I think it happens because with this new next-gen car where everybody has pretty much the same parts and pieces, everybody's still learning the car. And there's some days you hit it and some days you don't. And you're also learning about the durability of the car. And I think you saw in some of these races where, where uh, some of the parts and pieces that uh, didn't hold up maybe as expected. And that created a little bit more opportunity for those who haven't necessarily been running at, at, for, up the front, at the front all season. But then again, the drivers who run at the front one week aren't necessarily the same as the ones who are running the next week. And I think that's what, making this whole playoff uh, – this, this whole playoff system pretty interesting this year. Yeah, well, Bob, you know, mentioning the the fact that these you know different drivers have won, but it's something that we've seen throughout the entire NASCAR season. How how big is this for NASCAR that you don't have just one, two, or maybe three drivers that are dominating the, this whole circuit right now? It feels like anybody could win at any given time. That's got to be big for NASCAR. It's big for NASCAR in the sense that they know that every driver has a certain number of fans, and when you have 19 winners already with seven races to go, you've already tied the record for most wins winners in the season. You know that those fans have a reason to watch. They have a reason to get excited about. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, all sports, it, 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 it kind of goes in, in 
cycles. And, you know, you don't, always, you don't necessarily mind having somebody who wins a bunch of races, right? Because then the storyline is who's going to catch this driver? Can this driver continue to win a bunch of races? So NASCAR has had that kind of storyline for several years. So I think they're happy to have a storyline of, you know, anybody can win on any given day and you don't really know who, who that is, is going to be. Look, I think you, there's still six winners or so from a year ago who haven't even won yet. Yeah. <laughs> Part of this night group in 19, you're like, man, they, they could rattle off a win at any time. And, Bob, obviously with the guys that we did see eliminated in round one, a couple really big names to the sport for a long period of time. I know Kevin Harvick had had a troublesome season until he won a couple races in a row there about a month or so back. And then, obviously, Kyle Busch and all the drama with his contract situation, but still one of the name uh, best drivers in the sport, eliminated in round one. How surprised were, were you with the four that were eliminated? And what does that say about the, the field of 12 here as we continue on? Well, I, I would say I'd have to be surprised because I know I didn't pick Kyle Busch to not make it out of round one. I know I didn't pick Kevin Harvick not to make it out of round one. I didn't pick Tyler Reddick to not make it out of round one. So uh, three drivers got through that I didn't think uh, were going to get through, and three drivers fell out. So I was pretty surprised. And, you know, I think, I mean, look, you can never predict that Kyle Busch should have two blown engines, right? Yeah. No, no engine failure in, uh, in nearly three years and then two and three races. That's just that's just unlucky. There's there's no other way to to explain it other than than they're just a little bit unlucky, and uh, but you know but that happens and that's what these three race rounds are designed to do. They're designed to create chaos. They're designed to create unpredictability, and that's exactly what they've done. Bob, with this this next stretch of races, we've got Texas, which is a, a mile and a half track. We've got uh, Talladega, which obviously is a drafting track, and then the Charlotte Roval, a road course. Three very different types of racetracks. I'm curious, just you uh, covering the sport for so long, uh, is this your favorite round of the playoffs? Just from a from a uh, unique standpoint of how different these tracks are, how different the races will be. Yeah, I mean it's certainly the most diverse round. Uh, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, I think as you get to the round of eight and, you know, that might be a little bit more dramatic round. You know, I think this is a round where, you know, that driver only controls his own destiny by so much, right? You get in a wreck, getting bombed somebody else's wreck at Talladega. Uh, you, you get turned in Charlotte late in the race and all of a sudden go from second to 30th to 30th. Uh, you know, so I think this, this round is the most intriguing round. This is the round where you look at this weekend at Texas and say, man, a driver needs to get stage points. The driver needs to either win or, or be top five in order to feel like, okay, if something happens at Talladega, if something happens at the Royal Bowl, that they could still be okay. And so of these 12 drivers going into it, I know obviously we've seen a lot of chaos, and so there's already a, a certain amount of unpredictability. We know the points reset based off playoff points earned, so Chase Elliott goes back to being the leader after having a somewhat up and down uh, first round. Where do you power rank some of these drivers in terms of guys that you think are most likely to make it to Phoenix as won the championship for? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I still think you know Chase Elliott with what he's done all year and especially what he's done at road courses – I think you're going to look at him probably as number one. Christopher Bell, you would argue, is you know he's the only driver to lock himself in after the first two races in the first round. The way they've been running has been so solid. I'd put him two, and then probably Kyle Larson three, and then Denny Hamlin four with the way Denny Hamlin runs. But 
you know, they're going to have to keep from uh, from tripping over themselves if they want to have a shot to make it to the next couple of rounds. Does that feel like something it's kind of gone by the wayside because we've had bigger things to talk about as it is playoff time, but it still feels like Ross Chastain's got a wreck in, in line for him. Someone's <laughs> about to take him out. Does it still feel that way to you? Uh, a little bit, and you would think like the Robo would be kind of the place. You know, that was the place last year that Harvick kind of tried to make his point with Chase Elliott and up uh, backfiring on him. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Chastain is in the mix at uh, at the Roval, if somebody tries to to make their point there, I mean, I don't see them trying to make their point at Talladega. You wouldn't risk it there. The Texas, a very high speed track. I don't know that you'd risk it there as well. Uh, talking with Bob Pockers here on Sports Call, talking some NASCAR. Uh, as we look forward to these races, and you kind of look back at what has happened uh, in the past races. Right now, if you're in a Toyota, are you concerned with with how your car is going to be holed up as you as as you keep going through these races? Well, I think they they kind of have it figured out of kind of what potentially has been some of the engine issues. I don't think they'll see the power steering issues at uh, you know that they saw at Bristol because that's potentially you know the loads of that track. I think if you're a Toyota, though, you know that you have, we're not good at the road courses this year. Right. And you know that you don't have all that many friends at Talladega. You know, there's just so many more Chevrolets, so many more Fords. So if you're, if you're Christopher Bell, you're Denny Hamlin, you're looking at Texas and saying, man, <laughs> I, I need to win. <laughs> because I don't know that you can count on very much going right for you the following two weeks. And now that you know, I'm I've been looking. You know the the uh, Toyota race and development. Uh, David Wilson, you know, and they've talked about some of the things that have happened with these driver the drivers missing shifts or different things like that. But uh, you don't think it's an overall engine problem with Toyota? Is it is it some driver error, a mix of both? But uh, you know, is that that's something that Toyota is trying to figure out on why their engines keep going out? Yeah, I, I, I know David Wilson talked to. Um talked to Dustin Long over at NBC and, and, and talked about some things that they felt uh, with the, uh, something in, the, in their internal deal that, that, that they feel like that they've got figured out, that they can go conservative a little bit more with that, that should fix the issue. I don't think it's a matter of them uh, matter of them shifting. It, it was, you know, there was some thoughts that Kyle Busch, uh, you know, at, at Kansas maybe had missed a shift. Um, or I'm sorry, Darlington maybe missed a shift, but you know I think it was kind of after they went through it that that it wasn't it wasn't that. So you know I think it, it's more it was more just something on Toyota's end, something that they've seen recently with uh with, with something that they were doing and how it reacts to the next gen car. Bob Pockers is here with us on Sports Call today, a NASCAR reporter for Fox Sports, and Bob, we talk about the race that just took place. This past weekend in Bristol, and Chase Elliott walks away finishing second. But a lot of people want to talk about his comments looking for a more compacted NASCAR schedule. And here we are coming to you live from SEC football country. We love, we know what football does this time of year to eyeballs and viewership and, and conversations. I mean, how serious is this? Is this a legitimate possibility for the sport? Where do you stand on, on Elliott's remarks? Well, you know, I mean, first off, obviously, I work for Fox, so I would have maybe a little bit more privacy <laughs> toward the TV, right? And I don't have, you know, so any sort of insight in, in, in some ways. So this is more Bob Pockers, the reporter, talking, if you can take that for what it's worth. But, 
you know, I don't see the schedule changing a whole lot. You know, could they end maybe a week earlier or two weeks earlier? I think that's always a possibility. Uh, I would say that the midweek races that were tried in the last couple of years did not go great as far as ratings go. So they don't necessarily uh, – I don't know whether that's really as much of an option as maybe they wish. Uh, I think the, the, the one thing that Chase probably needs to remember or maybe doesn't even realize is that, you know, when, when NBC or USA has a race going up against football – it may get lower the audience than it would if it wasn't up against football, but it does so much better than anything that network could put up against football, if that makes sense. Sure. So, you know, so if they're doing, uh, you know, well, yeah, well, let's just say if they're doing a 1.5 million, that's potentially 1.4 million that they wouldn't have on their, on their net, watching their network at that time. So therefore you can charge more for commercials, and everything. So, and that's one of the reasons why a network would pay more money to NASCAR to have something to go up against football, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so that so you have to. So that is one of the reasons why it might be attractive to a TV network to go up against football, even though you know that it may not get as many eyeballs. As it, as you would as it would if it wasn't up against football. That is a smart way to look at it. I mean, yeah, that, that's something that obviously we we do get so focused on the football side of things. But all right, we're taking away Bob Pockers, big fans of big noon kickoffs from Fox, and uh, endorses every single <laughs> NFC team at the NFL level uh, there with Fox. So Talladega is coming up next week, and we know that uh, your fans love the tweet ups that take place and that sort of thing. What's the origin of the tweet up, Bob? Well, the origin was uh, when I was working with Jeff Gluck at NASCAR Scene in 2009 when we joined this new thing called Twitter. Some people <laughs> followed Jeff said, hey, we want to meet you. So Jeff said, hey, you know, I don't have a whole lot of responsibilities during Finney race. I'll sit in this section of the grandstands and come on over. And I think that was his first, you know, kind of tweet up. And it just kind of evolved from there where we try to meet on Sunday mornings or early Sunday afternoons of race days and try to meet with the fans who follow us on Twitter. We appreciate their follows so, so much. And it also allows people to meet other people who they maybe have chatted with on Twitter but never have met face-to-face. And it's time for them to, to meet each other and for us to just talk a little racing. I'm sure you have the craziest of stories in those settings then. <laughs> I can say that at one, we did have a wedding proposal, at, at not, not for one of us, but somebody <laughs> said, Bob, I don't have a question for you. I have a question for you. And pointed to his uh, his girlfriend, who is now wow. who was, then became his fiance and now his wife. And they invited me to the wedding, but unfortunately, I think it was during a race weekend, and I couldn't go. But um, and, and it was really, really unfortunate because it was a it was a event where Richard Petty had hoped to come to the tweet up, but uh, either a scheduling thing or he couldn't make it to the race that day and, and didn't come. So he's hoping to actually use Richard Petty as the kind of the the person to ask the question and then turned to his wife, but it ended up being me. So, uh, you know, but look, great fans love them. Like they're just so passionate about, uh, the sport. They, you know, they, it's, it's all about the drivers that they love and the drivers that they love to hate. And it's just, um, you know, going to a race is just an, an experience that a lot of these people save up all year for 
to be able to go and have some fun. Yeah, you look at your life, Bob, and NASCAR has brought you to the uh, you know the doorsteps there of a marriage proposal, and then we're also seeing that kickball's coming back. You've got a oh. kickball classic <laughs> there with Corey LaJoy that you're going to be featured in. What's the game looking like? You got a good swing? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, I'm going to do my best. I made the last out last year of this charity oh, oh, tournament. So um, my, my, my goals aren't all that high. It's just <laughs> to make the last out. But uh, it's a great event for local uh, YMCA and uh, Charity Samaritan's Beat that uh, that Corey LaJoy uh, supports. And so, you know, a lot of drivers in the media try to uh, try to participate in it. And hopefully, hopefully no injuries. Well, that sounds like J.J. when he's playing on our softball team. He's like, expectations are not high. I just don't want to make the last out. <laughs> That's J.J. Well, well, the funny thing is that there's a lot of NASCAR race teams that have, like, they're very, they have their own kickball league, and, like, they are competitive. Like, they, wow. it's like, you know, they have, it's, you know, you watch, the, the, there's an actual tournament, and then there's these celebrity games that I'm part of. But the actual tournament games, like, these guys are, and, uh, they're pretty uh it's pretty intense it's incredible bob thank you so much for the time for all the stories talking nascar playoffs with us and uh like you said coming up next week back in our state at talladega looking forward to seeing you there and thanks again for joining us here on the program thank you guys all right that's our good pal bob pockeris fox sports reporter joining us there on the show and Corey lajoy with the kickball classic coming up and I appreciate the honesty. From My them. fun like, kickball story yeah. is uh, I subbed in about two years, three years ago, God and AB in a kickball game, and my shoe went with the ball. Oh, nice. Shoe <laughs> went as far as ball, so uh, which is not the goal. Um, so, yeah, I don't like kickball. <laughs> I'm not good at kickball. Man, <laughs> I'll stick to softball. Fun game indeed. Well, thanks again to Bob Pockers for joining us there. We've reached the end of the second hour of Sports Call. Covering the bases with Eric McDade is coming up next. We're going to do that here on Tiger 95.9 FM alongside Tom Peavy, Cam Berry, Ryan LaVoy. My name is JJ Jackson. Two hours in the books, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620, WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started today on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy and Ryan LaVoy, and we've had an amazing show so far. An honor to chat with Brent Crouch, Stephen Pearl, and Bob Pockris 
here on the show, and we got to talk football. We got to get you ready to rock and roll for Saturday's SEC opener: Auburn versus Missouri. T.J. Finley more than likely out of the competition. Robbie Ashford, our guest, will be your starter for the contest in that one. So tons to get into here in this final hour of the show today. And we've got our good pal, Eric McDade. Eric McDade, State Farm. We're going to be covering the bases. E-Money, what's going on, man? Sir, not much, man. How y'all doing? The mood would have been much better last week uh, compared <laughs> to, sure. to this week coming off of what we saw on Saturday. last week, man, but we got to do it today. Tell me the emotions you experienced in the second half. That's what we forget about, too, this week, what I've noticed. It was 14-6 to at halftime in that Auburn and Penn State game. Yeah. And Auburn was getting the ball first to start the second half. What emotions did you experience in that second half? Man, yeah, it's crazy you mentioned that because, like, at the end of the first half, I told my friends, we were in the group chat, and I said, man, we look like the stronger, faster team. Like, we – we just went capitalizing in the red zone. You know, they scored twice. They touchdowns in the red zone. We kicked field goals. But I was like, second half, we come out, we get the ball. Maybe we can, you know, maybe we can do this. And even had a emotions, little- confused, frustrated, <laughs> embarrassed, <laughs> all of the above, man. It was, I don't know, it's kind of shocking. I, I don't recall ever seeing us lose like that at home uh, to a non-conference opponent, especially in a game that you anticipate and, you kind of feel like you should compete. I mean, there's been times where we know Auburn's overmatched. You know, a 2012 comes to mind. I mean, you were expecting some of those losses, but to see us lose by almost 30 points to a, a non-conference opponent at home is insane. Well, and I was going to even add to it um, going into half, you had a very feisty, like, last minute and a half where Auburn got yeah. it backed up on their own end. They had a long play getting towards midfield, had a penalty, T.J. Finley kind of has a, a mean run. You know, they start some jawing. There's that personal foul, I think, on one of the Auburn offensive linemen. Like, they were they were getting into it a little bit. There was some chippiness brewing into that game. And so, for Auburn, I guess, not to meet that moment as well, well to start I, the second we half. We could have scored before the, before the half. You know, I think after uh, Tank broke that long, uh, he, he caught one out of the backfield. He broke a long one. And I was just really confused about why they didn't spike the ball and maybe just try to get it down there and get three points. Um, and then, you know, we fumble, and it, it just, it just, when it when it went south, it went south in a hurry. So here we are, though. Yeah, we are. We are here, and uh, we've got an injured quarterback now too. We've got T.J. Right. Finley uh, likely to be out here. Uh, Robbie Ashford expected to be the guy after the fact, and I'm excited for. I really am excited for this yeah. because now there's no question like T.J. Finley or Robbie Ashford. Let's see what nine can do there at quarterback. Yeah, give him the reins, man. Let's see what he can do. I, I mean, I, you know, we've heard about Calzada. I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure he's okay, but I don't want to see him this week. I want to see what Robbie can do. Just turn him loose. He's not looking over his shoulder. You know, let's see what he's The man got. can run, Eric. He can run it. I mean, I, you know? it, it's been so much fun to watch him yeah, he's got these little, first three weeks. He's got a little Nick Marshall in him, you Another know? extra gear. So, it's yeah, just crazy. We, and that, that's something we need, especially we talk about all this, the – the one thing that we all know that we're struggling with is the offensive line play. So, you know, if you get, get a quarterback that can run it a little bit, you know, maybe that will help us out. Tom, how do we fix that this year? How do you fix the offensive line this year? Or can you? You can't. Well, I mean, you, you have to scheme around it. Yeah. But, I mean, you're not going to fix it. You're, you're, you're not going to suddenly make these guys – bigger, better, and faster and make them not miss assignments and just generally get their butts kicked. That's that's just what it is. Yeah, but you they are, you, who they are. they are who they are. 
but you have to be able to scheme around that and that's one thing that this coaching staff is not doing and that's one thing that frustrated me so much with how little tank bigsby touched the ball in that game and then you turn around and go well you know you weren't guys weren't in the meeting and it's what Penn State was doing and th- things like that. And our offensive line was this, that, and that. No, you scheme around that. Yeah. I, you, you look at what they're doing and what we can't do, and then you find a way to put him where they're not, and you put the ball in his hands. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us have to be in the meetings or any of the stuff he said in that press conference. If I got one piece of advice for Brian Harson, number four is a really good football player. <laughs> He's the best player <laughs> on the field. Yeah, your best player – he should touch the ball more than nine times. He touched the ball five times in the first quarter, and then you didn't hand it to him again in the second quarter. Yeah. I, I, there's no meetings that I need to attend to tell me that number four needs to touch the football if we're gonna win. That, that's just and that's again, the like line. I said, don't and then don't sit there and tell us, oh well, you yeah, you know, it, because of what was going on on the field. No, if you are going to be an expert at offensive game planning then you know how to figure that out. Don't just sit there and throw your hands up and go, oh, well, we can't use Tank because they're stunting on on this, and so therefore we can't give Tank the ball. No, you're an expert at offense. You figure out a way to put the ball in his damn hands. I don't care what they're doing. You find a way to go against them. The great irony in moving on from a coach that people said ran too much to now having a coach that is not – running too much or running enough sure. you know i think that um when you've got ashford out there which we anticipate unless something miraculous happens and you know calzada plays or or there's some other game plan element to this that we don't know or we aren't thinking of or, or not on our radar but if ashford's playing this whole game i think the good news is you're going to be forced to run more because when ashford came in to play for good in the second half that was the point in the game in which you were too far down to really stick to running the ball. That was sure. the point in uh, which absolutely. you had to start throwing. But obviously at halftime, and the whole first half was T.J. Finley plus you know a couple packages for Ashford, you still had more passes than runs at half. And we just discussed that right. that was an eight-point game at half. There is absolutely no reason to adjust to a panic game plan when you're down one possession at half. So right. we know that that was BS in the first half. Um With Ashford, though, I think you're going to see a lot more running. And I think the hope would be, and this is one of the things that why what helped Nick Marshall's run game be so good and and why that offense just was a perfect storm back in 13 and 14 was that when you have a mobile quarterback, that automatically takes away another defender to commit to stopping the quarterback run. That, in theory, will help you have less people to focus on when you're trying to get your running back loose because someone's got to commit themselves to the quarterback you're going to have one less body, hopefully, committed to stopping the running back at that point. You're also looking at your play-action stuff, which is far more effective if I have an extra element to it where Ashford could use the legs and he could get out of the pocket. And to be fair to TJ Finley, although no one would say he is uh, an incredible athlete or no one would say that he is a uh, great scrambler, some of his best plays were actually when he was running for his life. I, yeah. uh, I thought TJ played... He, I'm going to be honest. He, I thought he played an excellent first half. Outside of the interception, I mean, right. which, you know, we I don't even really think that was his fault per se. But outside of that, I really thought TJ played one of the right. better games he's played in Auburn. But, but even with his plays on the move, that is still not enough to say to a defense or for right. a defense to say, I've got to stop that at all costs. Right. Now, with Ashford, that is something because he's a game breaker and he can make a 50-yard run and he can do it multiple times. And so my my hope 
the thought process is with Ashford is that, and look, it's Missouri, so I, I don't mean to demean them because Auburn's not in a good place either. They're terrible, but Missouri's not good, <laughs> and Missouri will have to play an eight. Will have to play a competent game to beat Vanderbilt. By the way, this year that's that's where they are. Um, but against Missouri, you should be able to have some of this stuff open up for you. You should be able to have a much better day up front. Uh, you should have a day in which they're not just d- just disturbing everything you want to do. And you should have a day where you start to disturb them. And hopefully you create your first turnover of the year and you start to create some havoc. Because obviously this is this is the worst SEC team you play. Yeah. And so if you've not corrected, you you know you know what you need to correct now. You you don't have to wonder if San Jose State just you know, if that was a perfect storm for them or uh, Mercer was really actually better, just the, the, the lightning delay just kind of caused some things. You don't have to wonder that stuff. You know you were not good enough in several ways. And so you can now correct those ways against the most correctable SEC team to correct them against. And so that's why I do expect a better performance because I think it's too early to have lost the team. I don't think it's 2012 in that sense. Right. I think it's way too early for that. And so you're just talking about the most winnable team on your schedule, save for obviously Western Kentucky. And so I, I expect this to go pretty decent. I don't think it'll look clean, but I think you're, you're going to have big Robbie Ashford runs. I think you're going to start to see more Tank Bigsby uh, electricity and that sort of thing. But for regardless, they're going to have to focus more on the run part, as you said, Tom, and and run this ball, as you said, Eric, with Tank Tank Bigsby, he's your best player, yeah. and you've you've got to use your best player. And if I'm not sure about my passing attack, and if I'm having trouble running the ball, and I'm having trouble protecting the passer, well, I'm not sure if I protect the passer if I'm going to make a bunch of great plays all of a sudden. But I do know if I can make a few run blocks, I know number four can make a lot of big yeah. plays. And so that that's where you've got to lean on. You, this is I know I'm droning on and on here, but this is a guy that you had to fend off other schools for in the offseason. You were worried to death that he was transferring out of Auburn, going to Georgia or somewhere else. And then you're going to say, I'm going to give you nine touches in our first important game of the year. I'm I'm going to treat it like we had it in the bag at half. That you can't. You can't justify that. I'm sorry. I don't care that so-and-so is not in the room, that I'm not in the room, that you're not in the room. Everyone in any room knows that the best player in the field can't touch it nine t- just nine times. Right, you can't. And 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 then when you also just look at the the where where those carries were, you know, we mentioned it. You know, five times in the first quarter, zero times in the second quarter. Like, how are you going an entire quarter without putting the ball in your best player's hands? That that's unacceptable. I don't care. Again, that's why it was BS that it was said it was game situation. It was exactly. not game situation. Right in the at, at quarter. that po- at, yes, exactly at that point in the second quarter, it, that's complete BS. Mm-hmm. But then you even look at that in the third quarter, only four times that you're still in it, but you only get him to touch four times, and then it gets out of hand and you're forced to throw. But even then, you have to find a way to try to even when you're throwing, find a way to put it in his hands. Yeah, I think they threw it to him twice in the second quarter. I remember they split him out wide one right. time and tried to throw him one. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a to me again, that's it's a game a, plan. It is a thing, travesty, man. you know, splitting splitting him out wide and running a yeah. timing route probably ain't a good idea, man. Just give him the ball. It, it is an abs- it is an absolute unacceptable travesty when you have a guy of the caliber of Tank Bigsby and you do not put the ball in his hands more than what you did against Penn State. I don't care about what is happening in game. Yeah. You find a way to do that. And like I said, I'm going to keep harping on this. 
if you're as the offensive coordinator and a head coach who has offensive mindset, you find ways to scheme around a weak offensive line and you find a way to scheme around whatever their defense is doing. You can't tell me that there was not a spot out there that you can get Tank into into uh, into space and get the ball I to mean, him. That just sounds like a guy that admitted he got out coached to me. I'm gonna just be honest. Absolutely, yeah. that's what it sounds. That's like exactly what it's like. Well, and it, and kind of one of those things that people are kind of cracking on Harson about is the fact of passing the blame a lot of times, you know, and instead of taking on his. And one small thing I want to say on that. Uh, slightly different circumstance, but when you compare it to Auburn's first two games, it's not. Arkansas having this great revival with Sam Pittman. Sure. They damn near lost to Bobby Petrino of yeah. Missouri State. You know what Sam Pittman said after the game? I wasn't very good. I wasn't very good. I wasn't very good. I didn't put the players in position, and I was getting my butt kicked. Right. And they still won, right? But he was owning up to, we played an FCS team, and we got scared, and that's on me. And, again, I know that sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's on the players. It's not always a coaching issue. Sure. But as a coach and as a leader – you have to deflect it to yourself. We right, talk about right. this with quarterbacks in the NFL all the time. It's like when receivers drop passes. Well, I can't hand you the ball, but I'm a leader, so I'm going to say, you know what? I, I gotta just got to get it to my guys. Way. I got to right. I got to make more plays. I got to get to my guys. And it's the same thing with with Harson or with any other head coach in this league. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's your fault. It's you, you are the it's head your coach fault of that when team. You, when you when you talk to the media and when you talk about it. We're covering the bases right now with Eric McDade. We're also taking your phone calls. 334-887-3401. Again, drivewithericcom You guys got a lot of cool things going on right now, buddy? Yeah, some pretty cool stuff, man. Um one big thing, October is National Women's Small Business Month. So, okay. you know, just highlighting those ladies in the community with small businesses. Uh, that helped the community tick. So uh, we're really excited about that, you know, just trying to reach out to those those ladies who, you know, we can help and that we want to amplify. So uh, that's that's going to be a cool thing we got going in October. We're going to try to partner with a couple of them, and uh, hopefully you'll see some of the stuff that we have going on with that. Can't wait for that again. Drivewitheric.com. Let them help you out with all of your insurance needs. That's all offense, too, by the way. We haven't spent as much time talking about the Auburn defense. You pointed it out, Eric. They have yet to force a turnover yeah. this season. And, yeah, still not great stuff. You talk about, I think Jason Caldwell said it on Monday's program here with us. You look back at the San Jose State game, great. They went one for five in red zone trips. Your defense just let San Jose State have five trips Into to the, the red, red zone. zone. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, not the best formula for this Auburn football program. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 tiger 9 We've got Keith from Auburn. Keith is on the line here today. Hello, Keith. Hey, guys. How we doing? Great. Quite well, thanks. I feel like I hadn't heard from you in a while. Uh, listen, work, work, work. <laughs> That's what I got to do. Hey, uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Eric there, uh, he's probably pretty modest, but, you know, he did a lot of work. And he helped a lot of kids in the Auburn community with the Auburn Raptors. He was a great coach, and he taught those kids the right way. And he taught them how to be winners. And that's the most important thing. So I wanted to uh, give a shout-out to Eric. Um, I appreciate it, Keith. I know he well in, in, in the industry. Uh, I'm doing the same, uh, yes, trying sir. to hang on in the industry. So all is good in Troy, Alabama today. How about that? Man, that's good to hear, man. It's good to hear your voice, Keith, man. I really appreciate the compliments, man. That means Absolutely. a lot. And, and that's from the heart, brother. Yes, sir. Thank I, you. I, I saw what you did, and I know what you do. 
and it doesn't go unnoticed. And I just want to give you a shout out. Thank you. Appreciate it. So listen, guys, uh, I want to start with this. Uh, I don't get a chance to call in much, but, uh, today's my day. So I'm going, I'm going to get after it. <laughs> um, I won't talk about the quarterback situation at Auburn. Okay. But, you know, I, I think that the coaching staff is going to catch 22. Uh, and it's not bad. It could be bad, but it, it could be good. Uh, Robbie Ashford's your guy now for this game anyway. So what I would like to see happen, and I hope the coaches are on the same page, is you turn them reins over to Robbie Ashford and you let him play the game and play the whole game. Win, lose, or draw. He's your man. Because here's what I say, the reason I say that. Either you got a, uh, a true freshman backing him up, or you've got Zach Calzada. And if Zach's really hurt uh, and, and he needs a medical red, red shirt and he needs surgery, he needs to go get that. He don't need to, you know, uh, I, I just think that, uh, uh, and he may not be, I, you know, that's the whole question in this whole process for, uh, for the past six months, um, he wasn't great, but he was good enough to beat Alabama. And if you can beat Alabama, that's a pretty good outing. Uh, and then he comes to Auburn, and everybody expects that he's going to be your starting quarterback. Now, TJ did some good things. He's better than he was last year, but he's still TJ. Uh, man, he falls really hard when he runs the football. I don't see how he keeps from getting hurt the way he ends up landing when he gets tackled or whatever the case may be, and, and that may be part of why he's got a, a, a shoulder injury. But, you know, I think it's good for Auburn uh, going into this game that I, and, and maybe the coaches are saying, okay, it, it's your game. We're going to live, and we're going to die by you. So go out there and do your thing and, 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 and just be done with it. You know, I mean, I don't know what you, you guys think. but um. Keith, it reminds me a little bit of a situation I don't think we've talked about too much on air. It was, uh, I believe, 2016, Sean White had been starting at quarterback. He got a little nicked up, and John Franklin III uh, started at quarterback against Vanderbilt. Okay, similar situation, that a, a bottom-tier SEC school. And there was a lot of intrigue around Franklin because he was so fast, such a great athlete, and we're still pretty recently on the mind of Nick Marshall. And he came out, and he didn't have it. And Auburn didn't play well, and they had to go to Sean White, even though he was less than 100%, uh, and finish that game so Auburn could hold on and win. And Auburn had an okay team that year, but Sean White's injury started to hurt them down the stretch of that season. And I would simply make that comparison here because I'll put myself in the boat. I want to see Robbie Ashford. I'd, I prefer him to T.J. Finley as of right now, but maybe in this game you see Robbie Ashford, you see him either play really well and exceed those expectations and maybe earn the starting job, or you see him struggle and you see yeah. it does not work and it is not better than T.J. Finley, and, you, and we need to stop saying that he right. needs to be sharing time with T.J. Finley. So I, I agree with you in that sense because we're going to find out really what's the deal on Robbie Ashford. Not a package, not a set of a quarter and, and, and mop-up time. We're going to see the whole thing with Robbie Ashford. And, and, and I hope the coaches stay with him. Obviously, they're going to start him, and they stay with him. Give him a yep. chance. Yeah, play the better or worse. Ball. I mean, you got to stick with him. I agree 100. Yep. percent Unless he goes out there and throws three picks. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. then you might have to pull him back. Yeah. You know, I mean, if yeah. uh, you know, you got to stick beside him. 
Okay, a couple of uh, other things real quick that I got on my mind. Uh, you know, I, I heard you talking about Coach Harson, and obviously he's definitely uh, standing on top of the hot seat right now. And, uh, you know, Tom, I read your post uh, over the weekend, and I totally agree with what you said. I don't think this team's very talented. Uh, they have a few talented players on, on this team. Uh, but, you know, this stretch that they're fixing to go into – uh, it, it's basically murder, murder's row, yep. you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, let me let me tell you what I, I think about Harson. Uh, I, I, I I truly think he's a good guy. Uh, I, I said this last year, and I'll stick by it. I think he was over his head coming to the SEC uh, with no experience uh, in the SEC. I mean, going from Boise State to Auburn in the hotbed of college football. Uh, that's a that's a tough uh, uh, situation to come into. He wasn't left in, in a good situation to start with, and all that all this is not his fault. I mean, like you said, Tom, Gus Malzahn plays a huge part of where Auburn is right now. Sure. And uh, but here again, uh, not all the blame goes to Gus because uh, Auburn could have went out and they could have worked the rear ends off to try to get some of these guys in the transfer portal. Uh, and, and and I know linemen quote quote hard to find, but uh, quarterbacks aren't. There was a lot of them out there, uh, and and you you know you end up with PJ Family, Robbie Ashford, and Zach Calzada. But I, I I think here's what I've seen in a year and a half or a year in a few games. Brian Harson and his coaching staff. Every time they go to halftime, they get their rear end handed to them because they make zero yeah. adjustments. And that tells me that they're over their head in what they're trying to do. Uh, because good coaches, uh, and I'm not saying he's not a good coach, he's just inexperienced in this type of a football situation. And to throw that up against the fact that he had no talent when he got there or the offensive line was where it is, that's a tough situation. And, you know, and, and I won't say this. I heard this, and, you know, everybody's talking about, well, he won't make it to October, uh, you know, be the end of the season. But here's here's what I thought about all that. Guys, if they fire him before the season's over, they owe him $18 million. If he finishes out the season, they owe him $15 million. That's the buyout. Mm-hmm. So there's a $3 million difference there, which – you know, what we're talking about is not a ton of money, okay? But here's here's my my question. If they get rid of him in midseason, who is confident enough on that staff to take over and be the head football coach, the interim head football coach? I don't think there's anybody on the staff that is. Yeah, it's really fair. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. It'd be someone who's never had an opportunity like right. that before. So, I, I don't see him getting the boot to the season's over with. I don't care how bad it gets. Yeah, it would take really something pretty drastic. They have nobody yeah. to, to put in that interim role as head coach. And I'll leave you guys with this, uh, a couple of things. Uh, I've never seen many college football coaches, and this is one harp I've got on horse that wear sunglasses. To me, it looks <laughs> at a person that's arrogant, okay, on the sideline. You don't see many college football coaches wearing sunglasses on the sideline. And to me, that that is a sign of arrogance. It's a unique observation, sure. 
I'm not saying he's arrogant, but here's what he saw Saturday with those shades on. He saw he saw 41 shades of Penn State. <laughs> That's what he saw. And if you want to go get a good coach, and I'm going to say this, I don't know if Kiffin would ever come to Auburn, but if you need a guy that'll come in here and can recruit and can recruit. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the portal. This show has loudly been on the lane, lane train since the the Gus Malzahn era came to a close. Pretty quick, yeah. But let me tell you about a sleeper. Those tell me about Deion Sanders. From, <laughs> do what? I said, tell me about Deion Sanders. <laughs> uh Deion Sanders ain't gonna get this job. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it ain't gonna happen. But anyway, I will say this: don't sleep on this guy. But the the cat from Kansas. Leopold. Yeah, Lance Leopold. He's doing some things. If if he can win at Kansas, my God, he could win at Auburn. I really believe that. One would think, so, absolutely. Keith, let's get some other folks in here. Good to hear from you today. Uh, all right. Y'all, y'all guys have a great day. All right. That's our good pal Keith from Auburn joining us there on the program. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 888 The second half's for one thing, and uh, I don't want to depress folks, but I think we're already kind of in a, a down mood already. Talking about Auburn football. You feel pretty depressed right now, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a number here. In the last five second halves against Power 5 opponents. Oh, the I last saw five this the other day. second halves good. against Power 5 opponents. Auburn has been outscored 94 to 18. Is that bad? It's not good. (laughs) More phone calls. 334-887-3401. Our buddy Eric McDade is in studio with us. Callers here. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony has called into the program today. What's up, Anthony? Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Well, thanks for asking. You know that last caller there, he don't believe that they'll get the $18 million up if they had to fire him before uh, the end of the season. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how long he's been following Auburn football. But, yes, if things get really bad and uh, the powers that be uh, get to the point where they can't take it anymore, yes, they will raise the money. And, yes, he will be out here. If you don't believe me, ask Terry Bowden. Uh, I think he was fired on a Wednesday or whatnot and uh, had to be out of town within the next day or so. Uh, Anthony, that $18 million is already in an account somewhere. They're just waiting on the yeah. right time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, it was a bad high from the start, at least I thought, uh, way back uh, a couple years ago. But, now everybody sees this is the kind of job you can't rush and just hire anybody. You need to go ahead and do what you need to do as far as the process, the method you may use to evaluate coaches or whatnot. If you're looking to go to Hallelujah Land, then what you need is an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator that's been to Hallelujah Land on the head coach or either a head coach that's been there and get a staff together that knows about something like that if that's where you want to go now. I mean, you know, you can't hire somebody that hadn't been in somewhere and expect them to go there. So, I mean, if that's what you're looking for. But I will say this uh, about Deion Sanders. Let's not just uh, shoot him down. We don't know what Deion Sanders may or may not be able to do with a Power 5 uh, uh, college football team. I'm sure uh, there will come a day he'll get his shot, and I would love to see him go to Florida State and revive that program and bring it back. When you look at Deion Sanders, you're talking about an individual that's been a Jim Thorpe winner, uh, has been an All-American college football, has been an All-Pro, has won a couple Super Bowls. You're talking about somebody that's in the – College Football Hall of Fame and the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're talking about a guy that could get on the recruiting trail. And uh, basically, uh, when you're talking about going to somebody's uh, living room and sit down and talk, he's basically like a big brother to these guys. He can relate to these guys better than any coach I could ever think of on many levels, background and everything. So you're talking uh, 
wouldn't take a whole lot for him to sell somebody on your program. I mean, he he's uh, I mean, he's been there, done this and done that, and he can tell these guys what it's going to take for you to be all pro, or all American in college, or to uh, be able to when you start making that big money, how to hold on to it. So, I mean, I wouldn't just uh, count him out. Maybe he might need a little bit more seasoning as a head coach uh, or whatnot. But uh, I just want to say, well, he just ain't going to get the job. But, uh, I mean, can't nobody explain to you why. They ain't willing to explain to you on the radio why he can't get the job. But but uh, we'll see what happens with him as his future in the future as he continues to uh, uh, develop as a coach. But uh, I don't know. I want to say one thing. Uh, people holler they want Hugh Freeze and want Lane Kiffin. You don't want neither one of those. When you look at a, a person like Lane Kiffin that had that old school uh, – uh, Southern Cal and messed that up. Had Tennessee and messed that up. Had the Raiders and messed that up. Well, he didn't have the biggest you could possibly have in, in all of college football. I mean, you know, old schools are right on line. With What's he doing at Ole Miss? No, uh, he, well, he's winning on it. That's Ole Miss. But you don't need nobody like him. He's already messed up the biggest job you could possibly have. I mean, think about it. And not only that, he got an eye for the ladies a little too much. I mean, you can't be too much into that and trying to coach some ball and, and be on campus chasing cheerleaders and making oh and that sort of thing. That's why, I mean, that was the rumor why he got ran out of Alabama. One of the reasons he got ran out of Alabama is that messing around with some of them girls there or whatnot. And I think that caused a divorce. But Hugh Freeze, we know he got his hand caught in the candy jar. Think about it. You bring in somebody like that who uh, has embarrassed uh, the last school he was at with that kind of nonsense. Well, if he come into Auburn and if he thinks that's what is needed to land a recruit, then if he calls some girls up and then uh, call girls or, or escorts, high dollar, and have them uh, travel here, entertain some players and everything, then what kind of problems are you going to have then if that comes public that that, that, that that actually happened? And then some of those guys might be 17 at the time, had not yet turned 18. Then you're going to have statutory <laughs> rape, and then you're going to have uh, – uh, transport these girls. Uh, uh, How did we get things. here? Wow. Hey, I'm just saying, hey, didn't Hugh Freeze not call um, the numbers of somebody was doing? Well, I mean, when you got people doing stuff like that, they will take it to the next level. Yeah, at you some can't point. do that. Don't, That's inexcusable. Hey, you can't do that. You're right. Yeah, but don't, don't think now, time, they won't. Yeah. Enjoy I'm the rest of your day, you. Anthony. It's good to hear from you, buddy. Now you want to get off the radio. Now, see, but uh, I didn't, look here, I kept it clean because I know this is the radio and the FCC got rules. I understand that. <laughs> but, uh, look here. <laughs> But I'm just saying, you don't want no trash like that. You Not at all. Happen. I don't at all. I, I want to win but, football but games. Well, you don't need him here. You don't need that. I mean, you're talking about it, it, to the point now everybody just want to win at all costs. They don't care what. That's how people are. But that ain't going to cut the mustard, fellas. It ain't going to get what you really want. We're but, just trying uh, to get to hallelujah land. But I tell you what, why not this Stoops kid over there in Kentucky? I mean, if you're looking for somebody that he's done, uh, he's doing now what Bear Bryant did, 70 years ago at Kentucky. You asked us Why about not? that yesterday, and, and I, I thought, I I thought know, Ryan I made a good point, and he can make the same yeah. point again to you, that I just don't know why he would leave Kentucky with how well, well he's hey, been able to yeah, do he's there. Not, he's not going to be able to keep that going at Kentucky. Don't, don't fool yourself. That might be That's a short-term thing. That's nothing going to last long. He's done it several years now at this point. Yeah, but I'm saying there's no chance of getting the Hallelujah Land of Kentucky. It just ain't. I mean, he might continue to do that and keep those people happy, but at some point, that man want to go to Hallelujah Land. He, he does, to, but it hey, might be a gamble. He want to go to the Southeast Conference Championship game and taste the roses and all that good stuff to go with it. Believe that. I'm trying to tell you, but, uh, you know, we'll see what Auburn does once they get rid of Harson and run him out of town. We maybe they still go 11-1 this year. Who knows? <laughs> Say what? I said maybe Auburn still goes 11-1 this year. I tell you what, JJ, your, your chance of winning the George Lottery, <laughs> winning that jackpot, that, that uh, 
$350 million is a whole lot better than that happening. And your chance of getting struck by lightning in the next five minutes is certainly greater than the whole thing. Y'all have a good day. I'm going to go to work and make me some money. Money! I love it. That's Anthony from Auburn. Wow. Wow. You never know what to expect when he calls into the program. That's just uh, amazing stuff right there. That just zero to 100. (laughs) Real Real quick. (laughs) Real quick. He made some valid points, though. I mean, you got some guys. I mean, everybody's going to have questions, but I I, I do agree with him. If you're going to – I mean, I don't – I'm not going to sit on the radio and fire Brian Harson today because I don't know what's going to happen. But if it gets to that point, you know, the famous saying, you got to make your next move your best move. The next time we hire a coach, it's got to be a the slam coach. dunk. You know that this is going – I mean, no question, this is a proven guy, and he's got a track record of either taking the team to Hallelujah Land or getting real close to it. So, um, We said in the final years of Gus Malzahn, <clears throat> we do not want to be Tennessee. Still trying to find coach after coach after man, coach, and things we, are going we, well we, right we now with heading, Josh Heupel, but it's taking him a long time. Square to get back to where they're at. Territory. One more phone call. We got maybe two or three minutes left in the program here, so we'll go back to the pro- phone lines and joining us on the show. Ward damn Steve. Steve, you got to make it quick today. We got Steve here with us on the program. Hello, friend. Be my baby. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Mr. Ravoy. What's up? I, n- I now know the reference to that, and uh, that's to Barbarian, and you just saw that movie. I just saw it, yeah. It was a good one. Be my baby. I love the ending. All right. Uh, the ending I don't look forward to is um, how how is this going to turn out, guys? Uh, because if you're going to terminate a coach, to me, it seems like the rational and probably the, the best thing to do is to do it before the upcoming <laughs> commitments, uh, which are in when November. Yeah, coming up at National Signing Day, December, early December. I mean, what are your, what's your take? Why would we wait before then? I mean, but after that. It wouldn't make much sense if you're trying to really build a program, but also if you fire him now, I mean, the interim coach is not going to be your long-term I plan. I would say so. you're okay, so Okay, put fu- me in. I say put me in, coach. You know, I can do it. <laughs> hey, I, I can lose the rest of the, the game, so what? Yeah, I, there, so, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to firing a coach in the middle of the season. But, I mean, if you just get to what we were talking about at the quote-unquote point of no return, then you you have to make that move, and then you just figure it out after that. But, you, you I mean, you just can't keep a guy here past the point of no return just in the hopes that, hey, may, we might be able to get some guys on campus. But I mean, I, I, at a, yeah, at a was, certain point, you just got to do it. You, you don't have a recruiting class to save. So, right now, like, right. you don't have – I mean, there, that reason is, is – valid in some places but it wouldn't be valid because you're not trying to save what recruiting class are you trying to save and it's too late to make new relationships you you're the guys you're recruiting are the guys you're recruiting and you're not going to have a new head coach hired in october during the new season you're, you're going to have a coach hired as soon as the season ends but you're not going to hire the head coach in game seven you can fire him in game two or three, four or five, whatever you want, but you won't hire the head coach before this season's in. So you don't have enough time to make new relationships, and you don't have a great recruiting class that you can save at this point. Right. We're 54th, and we have 10 commitments. Vanderbilt is doing better than we are. Yep. yep. Not great. Okay. Not great. Okay, who's the young man I heard his voice? I didn't recognize who he is. Eric McDade, our buddy from Eric McDade State Farm. Oh, Eric McDade. Okay, welcome back, sir. All right, doing, here's some hit pieces if you want to read them. Or maybe I'll read it by Mr. None other Joseph Goodman. Have you read it? 
Uh, I've seen the I've seen like the headline of it. I've not read it. Auburn's Brian Harsin critical of players, but not himself. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you agree with that take or not? Yeah, I think we pretty much. That yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. He 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 kind of he's not one of those that likes to put a whole lot of blame on himself. He, Numbers that uh, stand out from that again, like we said, uh, Joseph Goodman pointing out that Auburn has been outscored ninety-four to eighteen in second halves over the last five games against Power Five opponents, and Auburn is two and eight against teams from the SEC East since 2018. Uh, and, of course, they've got an SEC East opponent coming up on Saturday in Missouri. Final thoughts today, Steve. Right. Guys, for our issues, is it Jimmy's and Joe's, X and O's, X and O's, or is it both? A little bit of both. I good to hear. Here's another so-called maybe the hit piece or not, you guys, from SI. It's Brian Harson said to be absent on the recruiting trail by Lindsey Crosby. You yep. read that one? He referenced uh, an article done by Aaron Suttles of The Athletic, uh, a reporter for Alabama, and, and, and Aaron Suttles in that story was able to talk to anonymous coaches from across the state, uh, and they were talking about the lack of Brian Harson at their high school campuses. So, Steve, let me let you go, and we got another caller to get to to close out today's show, okay? Okay, so you're telling me I just need to wrap it up. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, guys. She, Monday. If, if it ain't chaos in football season, it ain't Auburn, right? That's right. War Damn Eagle. War Eagle. All right, War Damn Eagle. Thanks for the afternoon. Thank you again for letting me be on the air real quickly. And until the next time, when I have more sense to make, maybe, uh, y'all have a safe afternoon and War Damn Eagle. War Eagle. Be my baby. There we go. That's uh, retired War Damn Steve joining us on the show. 334-887-3401. Last caller of today's show, we've got Michael from Auburn. Michael has called into the program. What's going on, Michael? <laughs> Hey guys, just uh, if everybody's wanting to know about Dion and and why I think you can go back, I think his name was Turner Gill, uh, the Buffalo coach. I mean, same time that we could have gotten him, you know, in between him and Gene Sizzik, you know, and even Barkley made a comment that you know we that was probably where we needed to go, uh, and we didn't. Uh, and I, I, I think I think that was his name correct, but I know he was a Buffalo coach. But yeah. uh, I'll throw two names out there uh, possibilities. You know, if you're looking for the big, big home run, I don't think it'll happen. He hadn't talked, uh, coached in college, but you know, he hadn't coached is John Gruden, uh, and and he may be a coaching candidate. I don't know that he would come to college, but you know, he may win this lawsuit. But who knows? But uh, if you're if you're going the character route with both Kiffin and and you know who who freeze and, and and we're you know looking at both of those is is, is I would take Bobby Petrino over both of those because I've seen what the guy did in 2002 with Trey Smith and nothing against Trey, but uh, Trey Smith and Cooper Wallace, the guy can coach. He knows X's and O's, and he can take you know people and build them up, and he can recruit. What he was able to do at Arkansas and get people to come there, like you know, coaching wise, I think bar none. And I mean, we saw what he could do at Missouri State offensive wise. He's just an offensive genius. Yeah. Uh, and so I just don't know his age wise of what, you know, how much left he's got in the tank to coach and recruit and he is 61. do those things. But, you know, I, I, if we're looking at that, I think that name, and, and I think just around some of the Auburn circles, because you look and go with some of those, those players that are still around that he was able to coach in 2002, they're still around the Plains. And so I think, you, you know, do some things with those guys. They know how well he can coach, but, like I said, my issues going in, you know, 
to a parent's house after the issues he had, uh, it's hard to recruit, you know, if you're trying to raise men. And I think in the people are, you know, my, my comments on that with the Bible Belt, but if we're doing, you know, going the Hugh Freeze route and going the, you know, the Kiffin route, then, you know, I, I, I would throw Petrino's name in there because he's got some Auburn ties and he's coached at Auburn before, so. Yeah, thanks for the call today, Michael. Good to hear from you. That's our pal uh, Michael from Auburn there joining us on the show. And, again, a lot of speculation. Uh, we need Brian Harson to be fired first as the head football coach before you start to throw out ideas of, of who could be next. Yeah. Uh, and the names of coaches that do have a little bit of baggage with them, just given history, as we well know with Auburn University, you have even the smallest of grocery bags. Sorry, uh, you're not coming to the Plains, as, uh, as history tends to show us. I, so I'll say this about Bobby Petrino. I don't want him anywhere around my football program. And unfortunately, yeah, he might be a good coach, but most of the folks that were around Auburn when Bobby Petrino was here would not sign off on that. He he was Bobby Petrino was not a well liked guy in Auburn at all. Yeah, no, he, it, yeah, I mean, he burned a lot of bridges here. There, there. I don't know of many people that have a lot of good things yeah, to say about look Petrino. At why John Gruden's not coaching the Raiders anymore? I don't think that's going to work down here either. <laughs> Yeah, you can't go in the living rooms with some of the things he said about people. So. Uh, yeah, baggage uh, not welcome typically yeah, here on the plains. Kiffin's not even in the same discussion of those guys. I mean, no. he, I know, I know, we joke about some Joey Freshwater girls or something, but like he doesn't have the same sort of NCAA and personal baggage as those other guys. And, and I and I mean, and even then, I don't think that the boosters would take him. Right. I, I, I meant to say this about Kiffin whenever we got to talking about that. It was Anthony that was talking some stuff about uh, Kiffin. Kiffin has openly admitted that in those times he was very immature in what he's doing, and he has talked about at length about how much he has grown up and how much he has matured over the years. And so the, the, the Kiffin that you have right now at Ole Miss is, is, still, is not the Joey Freshwater right. that, that was womanizing and yeah. out partying and doing all that. He, he has admittedly grown up from that Lane Kiffin. So I, I trust that he has grown more into Well, it man. shows what he's doing at Ole and, Miss. And so absolutely. And he's yes. winning Ole Miss, yeah. But good point there. All right, we got to get out of here. It's been a whole lot of fun today. We've been covering the bases with our good pal Eric McDade. Uh, what do we need to know? Drivewithericcom How can people get involved What's and plugged in? Drivewithericcom You know, plug in with me, 334-759-7431. If you want to just call me and talk sports, man, we can talk about that <laughs> kind of stuff all day. But I'm going to try to sell you some insurance if you call me. I'm going to just let you know that yeah. right now. But, yeah, drivewitheric.com. Y'all holler at me. Love it. All right. Thanks so much for uh, being a part of the show and, and listening. And, Ryan, this was a lot of fun, my friend. Uh, Eric, all you have to say is I'll cover you unlike the Auburn secondary. <laughs> oh! Whoa! Wow! Where'd he go? Wow! Show. Whoa! Oh, no! He's leaving on that note. Tom, do you have any insurance puns that can tie into Auburn football to send us out of here? No, I'll just leave it on that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Ryan <laughs> yeah. talks for all of us. I can't top that see one. See you next week, Tom. Absolutely. Eric, we'll see you soon. Nice, Ryan LaVoy. See you, man. See you on Friday. That does it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Alongside Tom Peavy, Eric McDade, Cam Beery, and Ryan LaVoy, my name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.